You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome. I wasn't sure if my mic was on. Welcome to this professional broadcast put together from our mother's basement. So glad to have you with us. We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to recap the Libertarian Party convention for you and uh, talk about Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohn and how everybody's already eating their young. Didn't even make it 24 hours without everybody being a pain in the ass. But here we are. Uh, so we'll be right back after just a moment. And who knows if a convention's going to happen. Will the LNC be in charge? For the? It, this is insider baseball. And I promise this is like the last one. And then we're going to get back to politics instead of LARPing. Warning. This show is for adults. Produced by semi-adults. So the language is sometimes strong and offensive. Uh, I don't know what I said. Uh. Welcome to We Are Libertarians, where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the program. My name is Chris Spangle. It is great to have you here. The Joe Bots, the Russians, have already started coming out of the Woodward Carl, asking us to donate to Joe, Joe's campaign. I still got this. JoeJ2020.com. Uh, that's right. The Libertarian Party nominated their candidate. This past weekend online. Joining me is Reinhold. Reinhold, how are you? I'm doing okay. A little tired from this weekend, but I'm good. <laughs> Just eight. I'm sorry, but 18 hours a day in front of your computer was not anything different than what you normally do. It wasn't, nor it wasn't different than what I normally do, except that. Uh, the stress was a little bit higher at times than my normal work. Right. Uh, Paul Copeland also joins us from my uh, normal work is. Go ahead. I was saying my normal work, normal work is full of adults, so <laughs> it was a little bit different experience. Oops, sorry. So Paul Copeland also joins us from a rat cave in Kentucky. Paul, how are you? Uh. I'm doing well, but I'm actually not in Kentucky anymore. Uh, they moved me down to South Carolina, home of uh, Joe Jorgensen and Spike Cohen. Oh, they're both from South Carolina? That's right. Yeah. What are you doing there? Uh, I am working on a state uh, Senate race here in uh, 
in a, the Myrtle Beach area. Okay. All right. Somebody's internet is not great, and I don't know if it's mine or if it's both of yours, but that leads me to believe that it's probably mine. Um, so let me, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to test something live on the air, live and over the internet. So hopefully this fixes it. Uh, yeah. So, all right. There, there has been this, like I said, in the intro, this is going to be a lot of LP insider baseball. We're going to try and make it as simplistic and as easy and as pain-free as we possibly can and give you our thoughts on what happened over the past weekend and what's lying ahead with the LNC. Uh, let me just say that for those of you who are not Libertarian Party insiders like Paul and Reinhold are, I want to make it very clear. Can I be clear? The LNC is not the Libertarian Party or the Libertarian Movement. This is often confused, but this is my, my disclaimer at the beginning of this show. I'm having trouble concentrating because I'm looking at my handsome face in the, in the picture. I'm wearing my Rupert for a governor t-shirt still going strong after 2012 i stole like 15 of these what are you going to do about it evan uh evan mcmahon who's running for secretary ran uh, ran that campaign and he was like why are the three x's disappearing i don't know uh so the libertarian party and the libertarian movement the libertarian party is a fraction of the activity and the people involved in the entirety of the libertarian movement it's just that it gets a lot of attention because it is political, and it's a political ideology, it's a political movement, and so it's you have more candidates with tentacles going out into communities, and so the Libertarian Party is often confused for the, the balance of the activity of the Libertarian movement. And then within that, you have the LNC, which is the national committee that governs the National Libertarian Party organization. But that is a very distinct and different organization than your local candidates or even your state party or your county party. The National Libertarian Committee is a fraction of the activity of the Libertarian Party, which is a fraction of the activity of the Libertarian Movement. But because it's a centralized conversation dealing with people all across the nation, it looks very big. And so all of a sudden, the infighting has taken over, and everybody's fighting, and it's fighting. All oh, the Libertarians can't get it together. So as we have this discussion, I want you to keep in mind that the thousand delegates that show up to a Libertarian Party convention to vote, and then the 20 people that make up the National Committee, I don't know, what is it, 20, 30 Reinhold? Silence. That's great. He's he's muted himself. I, I think it's about 24, 22. I, I don't remember the exact number, to be honest with you, because yeah. they changed on the, the... So within that 20 or 30 people, there's all this fraction factionalism that, that has developed over uh, the, since the beginning of time, because you get more than 15 people together and factions start to form. You're in a church of 10 people, and all of a sudden there's you know, the Baptist caucus and the Presbyterian caucus. It's just how humans work. So there, we're going to talk about the race for president and all the factions behind the different candidates, which is totally normal. And to be honest, I'm proud of Libertarians. This was the most peaceful nominating convention that I have seen since my time in the party in 2007. Everybody has gotten along great. You know, there was some controversy with Harry Brown and Jacob Hornberger the last time, and Jacob Hornberger walked away, and Doris Joe said, hey, everybody go support her. 
then you had Spike Cohn got the VP nomination, and that brought back the Hornberger and Vermin people to the table. So they're now supporting Joe, and everybody's one big kumbaya family, except those 24 freaking people on the LNC, which we're going to talk about. But you have to... You have to keep in mind, because this is the most irritating part of all of this for all libertarians, is that people don't make the distinction between those 24 people and the totality of the thousands of people that run for office and volunteer on campaigns in the Libertarian Party or the voters that vote for them, the millions of voters across the nation that vote for the Libertarian Party. They're not these 24 people. And so... What what you often get, and it's just so tiresome, and I've just stopped even caring. Like, I'm just being an asshole online. Like, I, I, I'm too old and crotchety. I've turned into Reinhold on some of this stuff. Like, if you're bringing up James Weeks and dancing on stage, thanks for stopping by. We know you're not going to vote for us. We don't need you to comment on our Facebook pages anymore. You're not contributing to the discussion. James Weeks' jokes haven't been funny since 2016 when Barack Obama was president. Give it up. Give up the comedy. You're not good at it. All right? So that's rule number one. Second is, I don't like this candidate because this candidate doesn't do exactly what I want and say exactly what I want and dress exactly like I want, and so therefore I'm not voting for them. Well, it doesn't matter what cherry-picked excuse you found. You weren't voting for one of the Libertarian Party's candidates anyways. Bye-bye. We don't need you here. Thank you for stopping by. Just go vote for Trump or Biden like you were always going to. We don't need your feigned interest. There, You have to remember that there's always, in every election cycle, there's always these these just edgelords online who maybe they're not shit posters, they're not edgelords, but they're always that guy who's like, you know, I wanted to support the Libertarian Party, but they didn't do everything that I wanted in exactly the way I wanted, and I told these guys how they should do it, and they didn't listen to me, and so they're just a joke, so I'm not voting. We're not interested. Thank you. You have a nice day. You go, go annoy some Republicans. Now, there are many people, and this is the people that we like to talk to here on the We Are Libertarians podcast, that are open-minded. They're looking for an alternative. They don't know anything about Joe Jorgensen. They've left their biases at the they're not they're not egotistical. They're coming with an open mind. I didn't know who Joe Jorgensen was till about oh a week and a half ago, like most of you. And so I'm still learning about her and I don't know how I feel about her. I'm just approaching it with an open mind. Same with Spike. And so that's all we're asking for. You know, and so it just gets very irritating because when we talk about the infighting, you get the guy who, you know, came to one Libertarian Party meeting in 2010 and he's secretly a nationalist, but he's just too good for the Libertarian Party. So he's just got to comment on everything. Those people are very annoying. Uh, Reinhold's rubbing his eyes. I just I'm thinking about a guy named Chris and a guy named I'm just thinking about all these people over my time and and God bless you Libertarian Party activists who are out there taking the slings and arrows for the drama created by the LNC and I want you to know as a former state party executive director I feel your pain I'm here with you I understand what you're going through and if you need somebody to tell someone that they're an idiot and their volunteerism is not appreciated it's not wanted and they need to go away, you tag me in that post and I will tell them to go away because I'm not even a member of the Libertarian Party. I'm not a delegate. I'm not working on your campaign. And I'm happy to be an asshole. I'm an asshole, but I'm your asshole. So uh, as we move through the 2020 election cycle, feel free to tag me in your post with the guy that just won't 
quit being an asshole. So, um, uh, the reason that the the Libertarian National Committee had this vote this weekend, um, I've done some digging around because I've been trying to figure out why Justin Amash. Uh, it's, it's secretly nationalist. It's the guy that, well, probably the guy who has the horn room glasses with the cabbie hat and the skull. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, Jonathan. Um, uh, so I've been digging around because I wanted to know why Justin Amash dropped out because it doesn't make sense to me. So we're we're going to start with uh, way back in the timeline because I'm I'm sitting here preparing. We ran some debates and operated some debates and we were about to have our big moment. We were going to have Matt Welch moderate a debate by the Libertarian Party of Kentucky and we we were very excited. Got it on the Reason Facebook page. Matt Welch was debate. Justin Amash is going to be there. And I get a call from uh, Christy in Kentucky who did such a fantastic, phenomenal job. If you're in Kentucky, please reach out to Christy and thank her so much for those debates. She did such an excellent job and uh, Christy Kendrick and make sure you go and donate to the LPKY for all their excellent, excellent service to the Libertarian Party in producing those debates. And she calls me and she says, are you sitting down? And I said, yes, because I'm on quarantine like everyone else. Justin Amash dropped out. Quit fucking around. (laughs) And she goes, no, go look at his Twitter. And I'm like, ah, this sucks. So, you know, we're a week, six days out from the nomination, and the guy drops out, and, uh, you know, it just sort of was confusing to me because I I didn't understand why why this guy who had a pretty – I mean, he didn't have it sewn up, but he was on his way to win the nomination. Why would he drop out six days? Like, he looks awfully feckless right now, right? So he drops out of the Republican Party, becomes an independent, then becomes a libertarian, and then he's going to not run for his race, and he's going to run for president. Now, maybe he's running for his congressional race. Nobody knows. It's just like it strategically didn't make any sense. So, and I'm sure Reinhold will have a different version of events, but this is what I've, I've found as I've asked around to several different people. Uh, Justin Amash was fully aware when he decided to run for president, there was the beginnings of the coronavirus pandemic happening. And so there was always the, the thought that it's hard to petition in a pandemic because the way that petitioners get on the ballot in all 50 states. So here in Indiana, we're blessed with automatic ballot access. In some states, you have to go out and petition, which means you hire some people to stand out of a Walmart or a restaurant or a crowded event or canvas around a town, and you're signing a petition to get these people on the ballot, and you have all these limits that you have to hit. Well, that's hard. So if if your bread and butter was standing outside of a basketball game and there's 50,000 people rolling in, that's a big pool of people. But when nobody's getting together and nobody's going out and nobody's – it's hard, right? So – the possibility of not getting on all the ballots was always there, but it became more intense as time went on uh, as they got closer to the convention. So if you look at the timeline, what, Amash, what Amash's people allegedly want, because I've not vetted with them, I don't have any access to their campaign, but what they wanted was a longer period of time. They wanted a later convention, and they wanted it to be an in-person or an online convention only. And they wanted it to be further out so they could get to know the delegates. 
And so if you look at the LNC passing the motion that says that they were going to have the first, the nominating stuff in, in I think, July, Amash announces like the next day or two. Well, then they hold another meeting and they move the nominating process back to Memorial Day, which didn't sit well with everyone. And so that was a factor. And then it was brought to everyone's attention by Matson and Harlos that they would then, uh, the, the, there could be lawsuits. And so by holding an in-person convention, there was a, a ballot access lawyer who ruled that by the, the debate was over the w- word place. So, Reinhold, help me out with this. So, because this was a critical factor in Amash deciding that this wasn't the elections, this wasn't the election cycle for him. So, the convention has always been held in person, and there is nothing in the bylaws that says you can have an online convention. They were debating whether or not a place to hold a convention is online. Is online a place? Is it not a place? And this, this attorney or several people within the party apparently ruled that place had no standing online because of 40 years of tradition of meeting in person. And so, therefore, it would leave the presidential candidate to be uh, liable for lawsuits in competitive states by either Republicans or Democratic challengers challenging the presidential campaign. And this may still happen, but the, let's be honest, the chances of this happening between... Justin Amash and Joe Jorgensen is is limited now versus with Amash. And the the Amash team apparently did not want to fight a bunch of lawsuits. They wanted to run a race. And it was going to be hard because you couldn't do it in person. You couldn't fly out and have the events you wanted. You couldn't have the petitioners. And so the pandemic really seized a lot of these gears. And then the specter of fighting lawsuits just completely took the wind out of the sails. So the the ongoing theory online was Justin Amash, and we tweeted some funny memes about around this. You know, Justin Amash gets in the party, talks to libertarians for two weeks, and realizes he's made a mistake. That wasn't it. The craziness of the LNC, partly it. But mostly it's just a bag of crap. <laughs> you know, and if you want to run a strong race... This wasn't going to be the cycle. It's not going to be the cycle for Joe Jorgensen or Donald Trump or Joe Biden. Like, if you're Joe Biden, you're pissed that you're sitting in your basement. You're not out there generating headlines. So that is kind of the, the digging that I found. The reason that it ended up getting moved back to Memorial Day is that in many states, what happens is the, the libertarians nominate their candidate at convention. And then in many of the states, it's... It's very complicated because people just have this idea that let's put up this guy, let's jump in the race, and we're going to we're going to put let's let's so Justin Amash is out. Let's call Mike Rowe and get him to run for president. Well, you know, or, or Justin Amash jump, jumps out of the race as a libertarian, he can run as an independent. That's not how it works. Ballot access is incredibly complicated because it's fifty different states, it's fifty different set of rules, fifty different deadlines, and so you have to nominate the candidate early to get the deadline met in these states to get the ballots printed, to get them to printed and delivered to local authorities and then dispersed amongst all the precincts. It's a very complicated process. And then you have the mail-in ballots, which, you know, are just going to be printed willy-nilly, and you can cheat all you want with mail ballots. 
<clears throat> just kidding. Uh, your mail voting by mail is incredibly secure. And if you're Donald Trump, you're a moron. He's absolutely wrong about absentee voting. It's he's sowing the seeds of dissent for absolutely no reason. Uh, so which he voted in, you know, by <laughs> mail himself. He votes for by mail himself. Let's not forget that. Uh, you know, the 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 constant consternation about voter disenfranchisement and uh, you know voter fraud. These are politicians trying to wrongly imply that your vote doesn't count, so you're easier to control. I've been a part of the electoral process for more than 20 years. I've seen, I've been on campaigns that won by three votes, on campaigns that won by 14 votes. I've stood in the election hall watching the ballots be counted for multiple cycles as a reporter. I'm telling you, your vote is safe. And if you're worried about your vote not being safe, go volunteer as a judge, a poll worker, a wagon book clerk, like... Go volunteer and watch. You can, and, and if you're in a libertarian party or Republican party or Democratic party, you can be a watcher for the party. There's another layer of security to make sure that the vote is not fraudulent. And so if Donald Trump were responsible or Democrats or Stacey Abrams or all these people were responsible, they would say, go be a part of the process because most of the people that work at polls are boomers who are too afraid to go work the polls this time. So step up. So quit. Quit worrying about voter tampering, because once you see the process, you're going to realize this is the one thing the government actually does well. Voting. So um, so they have to nominate the person early, and they create a straw man in some states, and that person is a stand-in. It's, it's wild. So anyways, long story short, they had to elect this person earlier. That's why they moved it back. And so Justin Amash jumps out. It becomes a wide-open race. And then there were like 1,900 debates, two of which we produced. There were a ton of – it was kind of a weird thing, but it was great because I've never known more about the candidates running than – I mean, I remember going to show up in 2012. Paul, you're a baby libertarian compared to Reinhold and I. But you know, when Gary Johnson was being nominated in 2012, I knew Gary Johnson. I didn't know who Lee Wrights was. And I was really impressed with him when I got there in 2016. I, I because I had experience, I knew who Daryl Perry was. But like you saw these, you saw Austin Peterson and John McAfee and Gary Johnson and Daryl Perry, and you saw them in the debate at the convention. The debate at the convention was the main way that people actually learned about candidates until John Stossel's debate in 2016. This cycle, you had several debates. You had Kentucky did seven. You had the National Libertarian Party did one. You had Lions of Liberty, I think, did two or three. I know state parties had debates. These guys had debates every single night for like two weeks. Well, and don't forget the series that Hody did. Uh, Hody, it was 15 months ago that Hody started hosting presidential debates. We did several. Uh, all told, We Are Libertarians hosted over 20 debates. We hosted or produced over 20 debates in presidential forums. We alone did over 20 over the course of 15 months. Uh, and so, which hilariously, when we did those 15 months ago, we went to the National Libertarian Party and we said, we're doing you a favor because our audience is 10 times the size of your delegation. All delegates showing up to vote for your convention, our audience is at least 10 times bigger than yours. So we're willing, as a libertarian media, to give you 
we're, we're willing to use uh, to, to broadcast this, even though I personally don't care about Ben Letter or Arvin Vora. Or, who, Arvin gave us a shout out. I appreciate Arvin giving us a shout out. Uh, you know, even though I was never going to vote for any of those candidates, I wanted other people to hear those candidates. So Hody went to the National Party and he said, will you share these debates? And the Libertarian Party said, there's a seven, fo- seven forms you've got to fill out to get onto the social media. So Hody, being the good Mormon that he is, filled out the seven forms, didn't get on there. We heard from one of the candidates that they didn't like that it was on Zoom and that it looked unprofessional. So suck my nuts, bitch. Look who <laughs> looks unprofessional now. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, what, what format was the uh, professionally produced ones that you did with the LBKY? Yeah, it was on StreamYard, which is a form of Zoom, basically. Um, yeah. StreamYard, which was chosen because we, again, were trendsetters. Um, so I just thought that the irony there was funny. Um, poor Hody. You know, I, I ty- typically think we didn't make the social media for other reasons, like criticizing the chairman when he went after Tom Woods, saying it's probably not a good fight to pick a fight with the podcast sphere. Uh, so... So that's kind of the backstory to where we're at now. So we get to the convention, and Joe Jorgensen gets elected. Well, Reinhold, who the hell's Joe Jorgensen, and where did she come from? Because I thought Jacob Hornberger was leading this thing. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Well, Jacob Hornberger had support, so he had a, a lot of you know, first-person support. But a lot of people who didn't rally around him at first were more of an anti-Jacob kind of feels so they were going to go with someone else. So that's when the balloting starts getting down. And if you were, you know, as we take names off the list, it starts to coalesce around the Jacob versus the not Jacob wing of the party. And there just wasn't enough sport there for Jacob for that. Yeah. So well, Joe Jorgensen though, was the running mate of Harry Brown. I had the honor of casting a vote for her. Uh, back in the day. So she's been around the party for a long time. She's uh, principled, as it were, libertarian, uh, depending on what your definition of principle is. And she's um, not somebody to, you know, has burned a lot of bridges or angered a lot of people because I don't think she's putting herself out there quite as vocally and quite as visibly for people to see. So. Yeah, so it kind of... Maybe that was a good strategy. I don't know. Yeah, the the race came down to Joe Jorgensen was ahead in delegate counts based on polling done by the LPKY. And so you could see that Jorgensen had some strength, but she was splitting a lot of her support with Judge Jim Gray and John Mons. And then there was the Hornberger block, which was largely the Mises crowd. And props to the Mises crowd. Uh, Reinhold will give them none, but I will say that it is an impressive amount of growth to go from almost nothing to 25% of the delegation in three years. That shows that they did a lot of hard work and that they have some momentum. But 
Jacob Hornberger never got above 25% in, in many of the different polls that were done. And then you had Vermin Supreme. Vermin was always hovering around 18%. That was kind of his ceiling. And then Mons kind of came on as a late challenger. He got that wall bump. And uh, he, he, he did really well in those final week debates. And people took notice, and that kind of raised his profile. And you could see kind of in talking to people in the, in the comments, because we have like a stream of all the comments, and you could see in the, some of the polling and some other things that you saw Mons kind of slingshot past Judge Gray because Judge Gray had some, uh, you know, he had a lot of scandals and problems at the, at the end there. Uh, the White Walkers basically overran the Gray Wall and started eating him alive. Um, and so... So it came down to it looked like Hornberger was the front runner because he had so much attention online. Like, you know, they even crowned him over it at Reason. But what people have to keep in mind is that the people voting are those thousand delegates. It isn't Facebook. And so even though Mises did a good job of growing to 25% of the delegation, they were only 25%, and they were never going to get above. That's why Joshua Smith is probably not going to get above 25% or 30 because he's he's he has alienated like Hornberger did when Amash jumped in the race. He The Mises guys have alienated a lot of people, and they have turned a lot of people off with their style. What were you going to say, yeah. Paul? And, uh, you know, the group that I'm working with currently is quite a bit uh, more of a Mises wing of the Liberty Movement. Uh, You know, they, and it's something that I've noticed, they are great guys, well-intentioned, but they don't know the history of the party. They don't have the interpersonal communication and relationship with the other factions to build coalitions, and they... I think, honestly, are getting some bad info and bad uh, impressions of other people working within the movement from their leadership. Well, it doesn't help when the person who started the caucus calls Nick Sarwark a rat F on, on basically the public Zoom call. You know, it's like they could learn a lot from the Joe Jorgensen campaign. So how did Joe win? Why is she the nominee when it looked like Hornberger was going to win? What I What I always try to say before and after every libertarian party convention is that it's about delegates it all conventions are about delegates it's not about the heat online it's not about the talk around the campaign it's about the delegates and so who are delegates there's a small portion of delegates that are first-time convention attendees they're brought in by one of the candidates they're excited about bob Barr or harry brown or joe jorgensen or Jacob Hornberger, and they show up to vote for their guy for the first time. That's a small percentage. The majority of the delegates are people like Joe Houtman, who works on Joe Jorgensen's campaign, or Steve Dosbach, who is Joe Jorgensen's campaign manager. He is a former uh, National Party chairman. It is, it is people who have been involved in the party since the 70s or 80s or 90s. This is their, they've been to multiple conventions. They have put in so much sweat equity. They have put in so much actual money. They have put in so much time that they really care about who gets these positions because their work is dependent on trusting the person that is going to be the main marketer for the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian Movement by default for the next four years. 
And when Gary Johnson didn't do a great job of that four years ago, it meant four years of ridicule for the party. And so the 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 presidential spot is truly about marketing. It isn't about being president. As much as I would love a candidate, Judge Jim Gray came out and had policy positions and had ideas of who he would put in his cabinet. Well, that's what you should. You should be prepared to win. You should be prepared. But most people don't believe that the Libertarian Party presidential candidate is going to win, so they view it as a marketing opportunity. So are we going to market destination libertarianism like Jacob Hornberger presented and say, this is what libertarians want in their ultimate goal. This is where we're heading. We will make no compromises. Adam Kokesh is in that in that vein. Arvind Vora, same thing. Or are we going to be more directional like Judge Jim Gray and say, this is the destination, but these are the steps that I want to get there. His he, he does not want it to be called a UBI proposal, but everybody else calls it a UBI proposal was that that ladder out of poverty is or that ladder out of welfare is his his attempt at destination libertarianism trying to move us towards uh, that ultimate end goal. And so many people who would be identified as pragmatic fall on that gray side and many people who identify as radical fall more on the on the Jacob Hornberger side in 2012 it was Lee Wrights versus Gary Johnson. You know, this cycle was different where you had the vermin crowd coming in and saying, no, we need to blow all of that up because that's all a waste of time. We need to do something completely out of the box and wild, and we need to have an exciting candidate, and we need to, we need to do marketing this way. Yeah. Uh, certainly more of an audacious caucus styling with the uh, vermin Supreme campaign, for sure. And, you know, and that's part of what I mentioned is the knowing the history and having those connections, those people that have been there since the eighties and nineties are the people that know the history and uh, they aren't going to vote for somebody that they still remember as a bad actor like Mr. Hornberger. Yeah. And that's something let's get Dennis in here because I didn't know anything. Cause I, I like Jacob Hornberger. I like the freedom future for freedom foundation. I'm a subscriber to their magazine. I listen to a lot of their stuff. Uh, in preparation for these shows, I I think by and large they're a great organization. I didn't know that he had somewhat of a history of, uh, well, just being rude to Harry Brown, and that came out via the Libertarian Republic. W- what was that history with Jacob Hornberger? Why was he never actually the front runner in this race? So Jacob Hornberger is um, prickly about feeling like he is. Not the uh, not given a fair shake. So with, with when we came to Harry Brown, he felt that there was some malfeasance that was going on. That the the process for him getting nominated was rigged, right? Um, that was the accusations that were kind of made. Um, it they came out a little bit later. They didn't come out right away. Uh, there was some stuff that was that was done back and you can go back and kind of look in the archives and see some of the conversations about that. Uh, but mainly it was, it was that um, way he treated the situation and treated Harry Brown after the fact that Harry Brown finally kind of made public what, what was being said about him by Jacob that kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. So when it comes time to him to run this time, which looks like he, he had kind of left, 
the party alone. He hadn't really been a member of the party for a long time. He went and started running as a Republican, I think. And then he comes back when he sees the field really light and thinks he's got a chance for his, his shot this time. And I think he got very upset that Amash decided to run. I think he was also upset that Chafee was in there for a while too, but oh, yeah, I forgot um, about that him. ended up falling away. So uh, they didn't, a lot, a lot didn't come out of that, but when Amash came in, I think he wanted to try to make a point and started kind of going after Amash and, and unfair ways. So, People saw that, remembered what happened with Larry, Harry Brown, and then they put two and two together and make a pattern in their minds. So now they see him as the guy who will tear down other libertarians in order to gain power or gain whatever he wants. Um, when he did not win the nomination, he was very gracious about it. When Amash actually when Amash left the race, he was he was suddenly. Um, very nice to Amash about that. He had know, a great debate that night. Because, and, yeah, yeah, he he he. Ho- we hosted the debate that night, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, I learned a lot. once he stopped talking about the things he didn't like and started talking about where he wanted to go. I was really impressed with him. Yeah. So, and and I think if he had just stayed that way the whole time, he would have had a lot better chance. But he went down this other path and made a nine point, you know, series about why we shouldn't vote for Amash. And I think that's the kind of thing that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. What people have to understand is that people who liked Bob Barr, like I did, people who liked Gary Johnson, like I did, uh, I did not like Bill Weld. And I do understand the problems with Bob Barr. I make no apologies for Gary Johnson. You can kiss my ass. Uh, the <laughs> Let's just be honest. Like, I'm tired of apologizing for Gary Johnson. He wasn't perfect. Was he? Was he the best candidate? No, but you're comparing him to your dream candidate. They're doing that to Spike right now. Was he the best candidate running in that race? All apologies to my good friend Austin Peterson. He was the best positioned, you know, and and he was the right choice if you were a delegate in 2016. If you weren't a delegate and you're picking against your dream candidate, you're just naive. You don't know how this works. Uh, get involved and you can change it. And the Mises people, to their credit, said, okay, we will. And now they're 25% of the delegation. It's not hard to become an elitist in the Libertarian Party. Show up. Uh, And so I think people who are on the more pragmatic side, who are, you know, who liked those candidates, who were brought into the movement by by Gary Johnson, for instance, they're tired of being crapped on. And so to have Amash get in and get crapped on, uh uh-uh, I'm tired of it. This is too small. You turn the guns inward, we're not going to put up with it. And so people will punish that behavior because they're tired of it. Now, here's where the radicals are right. If you're on the radical side, you go, okay, well, you guys wanted Bob Barr and then Wayne Allen Root and then Gary Johnson and then Bill Weld. How can we trust your judgment? That is totally reasonable and rational. All of those guys except Gary Johnson, I'll give you, (laughs) you know. So, uh, yeah, I I get it. I mean, especially Wayne Allen Root. uh, Right. You know, like, it's, yeah. So, um, like, should I admit that I wrote I wrote his office plan that was distributed in St. Louis? Like, that's how I, I was younger and naive then. And now I realize all those people were right about that guy. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so I want to go back to a comment that, that was made. Um, Jonathan 
says, there's a mistake in thinking that the LP candidate is the leader of the libertarian movement. JJ had a thousand followers on Twitter just a week ago to think that she's going to impact the libertarian movement absent some truly spectacular work. Then the many bloggers, podcasters, Twitter figures, activists, etc. isn't correct, in my honest opinion. Yes, I do think there is a degree of truth to that, Jonathan. But that is true for us. And those of us who are listening to a libertarian podcast, hosting a libertarian podcast, or would watch a libertarian podcast, you're absolutely right. She's probably not going to make a lot of impact. We'll talk about Joe in a moment. But to our friends and family, those of us who have been longtime libertarians, Reinhold, how often do your friends and family ask you about libertarianism and what do you think of said candidate? It's once every four years. What do I think of Gary Johnson? Should I vote for this guy? They don't say that about anybody else, maybe a Senate or a gubernatorial candidate. And so for people outside of our world, that is the main person that they look at because they think of politics in terms of politicians. We think of politics in terms of the people we like, like Dave Smith or Tom Woods or Jacob Hornberger or I almost said Reinhold, but or or even we nobody think likes Reinhold. So come on. What were you going to say, Paul? Uh, or even we think of politics in terms of policy. Uh, you know, how does this affect people's lives? You know, that's the biggest thing that uh, has drawn me into libertarianism is the actual effect of policy. Yeah. Um. So the people who make up the delegations are are longtime people. And so they a lot of those people, a lot of the Vermin people, the Jorgensen people, the Gray people, the former Amash people were very turned off by Jacob Hornberger's nine part video. I mean and in the debate where he talked about you know what he said about conservatives in the opening of that one debate with Amash was not wrong. You know, but it, it's it's a bit of a time and place thing because it's so personal in the LP. Because what you have to there's a weird psychology that people don't understand. How did Spike, a podcaster, get picked as the VP candidate? We'll talk about that in a moment. How did Joe get this nomination where she had a thousand Twitter followers? She'd met everybody. And so for you Mises folks who support the Mises crowd, the personal relationships won the day. The people that picked up the phone and called every one of those delegates and had a great conversation. Spike called me a week ago. And he goes, hey, I'm just calling around, wanted to talk to delegates, wanted to see if there's any questions you have about my candidacy, wanted to see if I could uh, count on your vote. You know, is there anything that I can do to make you feel comfortable voting for me? I said, Spike, I'm not even a member of the party, let alone a delegate. Oh, that's interesting. I go, but if you have some time tomorrow, I'd love to talk to you. And that's when we did that episode. And I think I, along with a lot of other people, when we talked to Spike, we're really impressed with him both on the phone and on the air and so relationships are everything and so there's a weird psychology in the libertarian party where they want to meet the candidate before they will vote for them if you're if you're listening and you're, that doesn't sound right start asking around to some of the old timers who's your favorite why well it's harry big, harry brown thing we saw judge gray came and campaigned with me at the indiana state fair in 2012 oh joe jorgensen came out and flew and i drove her in a car up to lafayette once and they like the person because they've personally met the person and so the party is small enough that the delegates that show up to the convention expect demand to have a personal conversation with the person they're going to vote for 
And if they don't call them, which is why Justin Amash was in trouble because he wasn't he uh, he was not talking to the activists that were hardcore. You know, there were people who were instrumental in trying to build a delegate list for him and they hadn't heard from the campaign. He was in more trouble than people think. And it's because they didn't have they were right in that instinct of we need more time to build a relationship with delegates. And so when you get a robocall, that's okay. But when you get a personal call, that's everything. And so there's also this is people's social circles. This is people's social clubs. So when they start alienating Judge Gray or Justin Amash, and now I'm taking shit for my friends, and Vermin's okay now that my friends kind of like him too. There's a lot of peer pressure in the party too because people don't stand up and say, "Fuck you, I like Gary Johnson," and there's nothing that you're going to say that's going to change my mind. I don't give a shit. Fuck Bill Weld, but Gary Johnson's cool with me. Well, but blah, blah, blah. I don't care. I don't want to hear it. I like Gary Johnson. A lot of people don't have that reaction. They say, yeah, you know, he just he was soft on messaging. And that there was, yeah, and Aleppo sucked. But every campaign has things that suck, like Ron Nielsen. What were you going to say, Reinhold? I was going to say that was the biggest knock on homage was that the delegates were screaming that they hadn't heard from him. They hadn't got an email from him. They hadn't heard a phone call from him. They didn't. He wasn't reaching out to the delegates. It was the biggest knock that I saw among the other delegates uh, on why they didn't want to vote for him. He, he didn't. He felt like he was going to be ordained and didn't feel like he had to do the work in order to get nominated. So there was a big backlash about that. Uh, Harry Price, we have no idea why you're not on the show right now. Uh, we sent you the link, but he's in the comments, so we don't know where. Uh <laughs> Yeah, nobody likes Reinhold as the largest group on Discord. Reinhold takes his lumps. Uh, so so that's why... Deservedly. Yeah, so that that was our joke in our chat, is that the candidate that we're all kind of polling for, let's have Reinhold go out there and anti-endorse him. Or the guy that was going to win. Let's do it. Yeah, have Reinhold go out there and say, I hereby support Judge Jim Gray. Ah, run away. Um I- Go ahead. I've been known to be a little acerbic on uh, social media. Yeah. So I think that's the phrase. Acerbic. Yeah. Uh, I really liked John Mons. I really appreciated him. I thought he was, you know, I did an interview with him after a debate because I I've thought that he wasn't getting enough play. And I thought that that was a guy that would be a great candidate. And I know he was a great candidate in Georgia. I've known him a long time. Again, that personal relationship led me to do an interview with him because I was comfortable talking to him. Uh, I don't have what Brian Nichols has where he's just like, Hey stranger, you want to come talk to me for an hour? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not that extroverted. Uh, so, and then there's vermin. And I think a lot of people, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, Vermin won over a lot of people in a lot of ways because of Spike's help. Like, he was the, the Vermin translator who came out and said, here's why, here, as he did on our podcast, said, "This you have to be in on the joke. Here's why we're serious. Here's these. And he did a great job. Uh, that's where Larry Sharp really fell flat because Larry Sharp said, I'm here to promote the judge. Well, he wasn't helping the judge out of his jams and wasn't effective in doing it, but Spike Cohn came along and got everybody kind of comfortable with the idea of Vermin. I don't think that if he had won the nomination, everybody be as comfortable with it as we're seeing with the reaction to Spike having a, a Superman shirt tug where Chester is showing and everyone's just losing their mind. Uh, but people seem to get comfortable with that idea of the parody artist, the satirist 
being the presidential candidate. Maybe Paul didn't, but Reinhold, what do you guys think? Well, I think he definitely got a lot of help when somebody sat him down and said, you need to do something about, okay, so you're doing this performance art thing. You're, you're being, you know, overly ironic. You're, you're doing, you've got this thing going, but a lot of people don't see it. They see it as, as you just being silly and it's a joke candidacy. It's like um, the silly party and, you know, in England. So him sitting down and saying, okay, I'm taking the boot off. I'm going to talk to you seriously. This is what is the deal. This is why I'm doing it. And he explaining it well enough uh, to people. I think a lot of people kind of gravitated to that and caught on to what the, what the whole situation was. I don't, I don't think it was enough. I mean, he had, he had done this, this character for too long yeah. and it's really hard to come out from under it without really breaking away from it. You get tight. He gets, he, he's kind of typecasting himself a little bit as it were. Uh, but I think that his popularity increase had a lot to do with somebody sitting down and it may have been Spike. It may have been some other people. Uh, Desiree uh, did a lot of work for that campaign. So, so I think somebody finally said, we need to address this and get up beyond it, and get over it. And that's where um, his, his surge came from, I believe. Yeah. So and- Rick, Rick, a uh, great patron of we are libertarians wants to know if Paul is actually here, <laughs> but let me, yes, read- I- let me read this. Um, let me read two comments before I ask you. Let me set it up. So, Libertarian JRT on YouTube says, "Yes, that's how." Uh, oh, it's the wrong one. Um, he uh, was a f- coin flip away from voting for Vermin, but Joe called her, called him and had his vote again. That personal touch won the day. Josh says, "I get the joke, but I can't sell a bearded pothead with a boot on his head as a viable alternative to the old party candidates." Back to our friend Jonathan and what he was talking about. People want to tell their friends and family about the presidential candidate. It yeah, is I, it is an entry point to the libertarian movement. Many of us who are here are here because we saw a presidential candidate like Ron Paul or Gary Johnson or Harry Brown, and that's why we're here. So it's it, it would have been a hard sell for a lot of our friends and family, Paul. Yeah, yeah. No, I was actually going to address that comment myself. Uh, no, uh, I love Vermin. He is a great viral video. He is a wonderful guy. Uh, I would sit down and have dinner with him. I'd invite him into my house. But, you know, I would not be able to take him as a candidate and try to convince my mother to vote for him. And sadly, as a delegate, as somebody that's wanting the party to hit the 5% so that we can have the fight over public funding, hit 10% in Indiana so that we can have the fight over being included in the primary process, you know, as that libertarian, I just cannot cast my vote as a delegate for somebody like vermin yeah the ballot access ballot access is a a lost part of all this because people who say that gary johnson was not a successful campaign i'd love for you to fly out to the several states that have automatic ballot access and don't have to do petitioning for the first time in their history because gary johnson got three percent because they set the threshold for ballot access at three percent in some of these states especially republican states because they thought well the libertarians will never hit this and Gary Johnson hit it, and so they had ballot access for four years. That's hugely, yeah. hugely, hugely important to those state parties. So when Jacob it's- Hornberger says in a debate, I'd rather have 1% of a principled vote in the, in the election than 4% of the popular vote, 
what he's essentially saying to these states is, I don't care about your ballot access. Well, that's a hugely damaging thing to say. And so, you know, all I think Dave Smith is a great podcaster, but that idea that we're, we'd rather have a 1% principled vote than a 4% piece of the pie, you're, re- you're, re- you're rejecting growth. You're, you're actually limiting the libertarian message through local campaigns. And it was just, that was another damaging thing, I think, for Hornberger. And it, what it amounts to is hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, in resources that can be spent in having uh, conversations with voters or putting, reaching out and actually getting that political touch out there that is the only way you're going to reach out and find the next generation of libertarians. Yeah, and Jackie makes a great point. It's hard to collect signatures. It's so hard that Todd Young, who is the senior senator of Indiana, to get on the ballot as a Republican or Democrat, they give us automatic ballot access. It's one of the the gifts that the legislature actually gave the LP here. But the Republicans and Democrats to run statewide have to get 500 signatures in all nine congressional districts. Todd Young fell short in District 1 by like two or three signatures. Now, the rule is if you need 500, you get 1,500 because most of those are going to get f- – tossed out because people write mickey mouse well bob grand who was the managing partner of the state's largest law firm with all the government contracts who was was is the party boss who's now sitting in washington dc cashing fifty thousand dollar checks to have dinner with him so you might have the chance to talk to our vice president bob grand got involved and magically they found two ballot signatures or the law got changed and he was allowed to run because he was bob grand's pick we don't have the luxury in Indiana of having the state's largest law firm looking out for us. We don't have judges that were appointed by Republicans willing to look out for us. And so petitioning is really hard and very hard to do. So, yeah. Um, so so we've talked about, you know, I, I appreciate Judge Jim Gray, but, you know, he torpedoed himself a little bit uh, with some of his comments and getting testy about it. We've talked about Vermin. We've talked about Hornberger. we talked about Mons. Now let's talk about Joe Jorgensen. Here's my, here's my opinion, and I'm not trying to be mean. And I said this before she was selected because I wanted delegates to really think about choosing Joe Jorgensen as their nominee. Uh I will vote for Joe Jorgensen. I will not be excited by Joe Jorgensen. I, wa- I didn't know her until I watched her in the debate. I watched her in the debates. She has a weird habit of saying things like, I will not answer that question, and then answering the question. Uh, I don't think she's particularly skilled at messaging. Uh, and I don't think she's particularly exciting. And I think it's, it's sort of like, if you don't want to tell your friends about Vermin, you're not all that enthused about telling your friends about Joe Jorgensen, and they're probably not going to hear about her. You know, her big campaign strategy was getting on Dr. Oz, you know, for instance. It's, 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 it's a quirky campaign. Now, I'm very, very, very happy for my friend Joe Houtman, somebody I've worked with a long time here, ran the campaign. I'm delighted for him. I'm delighted for Joe. I think she's going she's gonna to give it her all, and they know what they're doing. But I'm, I'm not particularly excited about it. And that's the last critical thing, unless something critical needs to be said. I, that's the last critical thing I'm going to say about Joe Jorgensen. But I think I speak for most libertarians when I say, who's Joe Jorgensen? And then I speak for the rest of America when I say, who's Joe Jorgensen? 
and there was a, a post in her meme in, in her group last night. Why don't we have any quotes with Joe on memes? Like, wh- what are the quotes? And the, the, so it's just it's it's a hard sell uh, because she's she was a great part of the '96 ticket, and Harry Brown was a gifted messenger, and so she did a lot of party infrastructure stuff, and now she's got a message. And that's going to be, I think, a little tough for her, which is why I felt Spike was the right choice for her, because he seems very gifted at messaging libertarianism and applying it to current events and doing it in a way that is empathetic and caring. And he's a millennial. He's a digital native. He understands how to message online. He is, uh, you know, he's he doesn't have to work. Let's let me put it that way, because he's been successful in in building and selling web companies. Uh, So. You know, he's an entrepreneur, and he's taken some heat. Uh, we can talk about Spike in a moment. Let me let you guys get in on Joe Jorgensen. I, I didn't know her. All I know is that Joe was working for her, and he asked me, and I said, hey, Brian, interview Joe Jorgensen, because I just didn't, I didn't have any interest until the presidential race until the last couple of weeks. So, yeah, Joe, she's an incredibly nice person, but as you've kind of hinted at, she does seem to be an incredibly boring libertarian, which, I mean, most libertarians are boring. Uh, we fight, as uh, Joe Hopman says, for a life that is much more interesting than the ones we lead. Uh, and I, I don't know. Uh, she, she has a lot of things to make up for in this race uh, when it comes to getting out there and getting noticed. Uh, she doesn't have a political background. She has a psychology background, which maybe that'll help. But uh, I realize that our current president is certainly in need of her services. Hey, hey, listen, the president, I'm tired of having an exciting president. Let's give boring a chance. Like, <laughs> I'm done with the excitement. So that was like the vermin, the vermin crowd was dinging Joe and J- Judge Jim Gray saying, where's the excitement? Where's the young? P-? I'm tired of excitement. I've had enough excitement. It's great for our ratings, but it's wearing everyone out. Poor Reinhold's almost in a, in a home because of the stress that Donald Trump is causing him. I've aged 10 years in just the last year and a half. So. <laughs> Jonathan Jonathan calls you out rightly, Paul, you or me. I don't think anything good about a candidate for office begins with, she's a very nice person. That's always the beginning of a knock. Uh, I mean, but as we covered, that's how she won. Like, she was everybody's second choice at convention. Yeah. She was everybody's second choice. Actually, the first ballot. She was strong. On the first ballot, she was... Yeah, she was right there with Jacob. It was like neck and neck, couple votes either way. So there was, I, I think, if it if there had been a stronger push for, say, Judge Gray or or Mons, and that those numbers were a little different, where she wasn't the first, you know, the first choice other than Jacob, then I think that person they would have coalesced around. It, I think it really coalesced around who was leading at first. So who who got that yeah. initial? Um, it, it, John Mons. That. John Mons had a path. He he was he had he he could have gotten the backing of the Hornberger people, the Vermin people, and the Gray people because he is philosophically a destination libertarian, but talks like a directional libertarian and has solutions. And but yeah. she was so strong on the first ballot that that killed that opportunity, and he he had a shot. 
and I think he he would have been a better messenger. I'm not. I'm but. Listen, the delegates, I'm not a delegate, and, uh, you know, their campaign promises me, their campaign chairman promised me that I will be surprised and impressed at the end of this, and so I'm going to give them a chance, and that's all I think people can ask for is, whatever your feelings are now, walk away, let them impress you, and do, you know, everybody's doing their best, so go ahead, Paul. Uh, I I do think it is important to remember that, you know, for a lot of us, like we were on that hype for Justin Amash. Yeah. And I think we're still kind of dealing with the lull of emotions that's uh coming from his very recent in all things uh dropout. Yeah. So what go ahead. And yeah, I think what we have to do too is if you really are interested in wanting to kind of help this along Give her a couple of weeks to get settled into being the candidate, getting some people in place, getting some technology in place, figuring out what the messaging is going to be. Stuff that I would like to have seen her have already done, but I think you have to, you know, that may be there. And and that may be there. It may just not be robust enough, or you're going to get so many new volunteers after you win the nomination. You get a lot more money, you can hire staff. Like everybody, chill out. Like I've just seen in the groups these these Facebook groups are the worst fucking thing for the Libertarian Party. If I were if I were chairman, I would be so much more dictatorial. This is gonna come, if I ever run for chair, this is gonna come back. So let me put myself on full screen. If I ever run for chair, I will be so much more dictatorial than Nick Sarwark. You people will pray for Nick Sarwark to be chair again, because I would come in and I would say there are no more Facebook groups, none. You get no more freedom of speech in these Facebook groups. Like, because all people do is it's just like these rabid dog cages that people get into these Facebook groups and start, oh, I heard that Judge Jim Gray is against jury nullification. Well, actually, 15 comments saying he had a, a uh, no, nuanced stance and, well, I heard that. Blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, it's like comments on YouTube videos too. It's just a, like the, the social media is the worst thing ever because all of a sudden, you can't catch your breath. We're, we're beating up Spike over his shirtless photo. We're beating up her on the Second Amendment. We're beating up on that. Instead of just being a decent person and going, mm, I don't have any experience running for president. I hope they get that together. I, I'll check in again in July. Like, mm-hmm. what? Like, you're going to say, so I know we haven't been overly, uh, we're not heaping her with praise, but like, give the campaign a chance for God's sake. Yeah, just yeah. catch its breath. I, like, I'm not going to lie. In my runs for office, I've found out that I'm absolutely terrible at throwing together a campaign, and I'm not going to criticize uh, <laughs> somebody f- who's running for a much bigger office than Township Board uh, for taking their time and trying to get things right and not having oopsie hiccups along the way. You know, yeah. let's not henpeck people to death before we can see what they're actually going to do. In my opinion, any, any, uh, go ahead. Anybody who's willing to run for a can run for office as a libertarian, um, even people I completely disagree with, like uh, some, some people who are running for president this year, right? Uh, completely and totally would dis- disagree with them. We would never vote for them, but I still give them props for doing the work and getting out and doing it because it's hard work. It's thankless work. And, it, you just get beat up all the time. There's no 
Um, I just, I just think that we should start trying to understand that for some of these people and give them a break, not necessarily say, okay, I'm going to support you because uh, you're a libertarian and, and I disagree with you, but I'm going to go ahead and support you, but I'm not going to tear you down so much that um, you don't want to get up in the morning and go to go do the job anymore. To go try to run anymore. Yeah, Jonathan right? was like, instead of saying those libertarians and Facebook groups are terrible, why isn't the LP saying, why aren't more of these guys in Facebook groups part of the party? They are part of the party. That's the problem. That's why it's not but functioning. And the and we've <laughs> covered the people. Yeah, we've covered the people that I, you know stop in and just throw a comment and never contribute. Yeah. Oh, and I I've, I've lit a fire this morning. On uh, one of the delegate groups. So, I mean. You are the asshole that I'm talking about. You know what, Paul? Let's just do this. Just you and me. Let's do the Libertarian Party a favor. Remove him from chat. Um, So, so Jeff says, Chris doesn't think it's worth it, though, to run as a Libertarian, right? So, here's my position on the Libertarian Party. I'm not anti-libertarian party. Uh, here at We Are Libertarians, we believe that everybody's, if you want to start a podcast, if you want to write a blog, if you want to start, you know, Ron Paul curriculums, if you want to run for a office as a Republican or as a libertarian or as a Democrat or an independent, but you're a libertarian and that's your effort, like all efforts are appreciated here as long as you're not being an asshole. Uh, only we are allowed to be assholes. I, I I worked for the Libertarian Party from 8 to 12, and I worked really hard at it, and it was my whole life. I loved it. I still miss it every day. I love all my friends that I met in the Libertarian Party of Indiana and around the country. I still cherish many of those relationships, many of those relationships, like with Paul and Reinhold come out of that, uh, and Harry. And so I don't begrudge anybody who looks at the Libertarian Party and says, I want to get involved in that. I just look at it and go, what is the best way for, as a person who has an audience and people listen to me for whatever godforsaken reason, what can I say to people that will advance liberty the most while enhancing their lives? And by and large, when people get involved in running for office, they do enjoy it. And it does become a fun exercise. And so... I say run for office as a libertarian if you want to run for office. It's very hard. It's very difficult. If you're married, it will strain your marriage. If you have a job, it will strain your job. It's very difficult to run for office in any respect as a Republican, Democrat, libertarian, whatever. Uh, It's very discouraging. But there are many fun – I mean every November I get nostalgic for that time because it's so much fun to run for office and you do talk to so many people and you do get to carry forward the message. Um, Do I recommend that people go into a position of leadership in the libertarian party? No, specifically the LNC. No, the LNC is where good activism goes to die. We've covered why. Uh, And you'll hear more why in a bit. Uh, So, for me, in what I ask my audience to do, I'd rather you go work for a nonprofit. I would rather you start a nonprofit. I'd rather you start a business or a social entrepreneurship type business or give your money to charity. I would rather you build an alternative to the welfare state 
and do something positive for you and the interactions that you will have with people because politics by and large kills the soul it divides people it's not fun by and large when you leave an event like a county fair you're going to be discouraged because people were mean to you and if you go and volunteer by and large you're going to come away pumped that you did something good for people so is the Libertarian Party a waste of time? Absolutely not. It's why many of us are here. It's an important exercise. It's an important function. Is, is it the best way that I want to spend my time anymore? No. Uh, it's, I've just kind of moved on to a different phase of my life. But I think everybody has to have their LP phase. And you will not regret it. You will have a good time. You will meet a lot of great people because there are many great people involved in the Libertarian Party. Uh, but do I think that it is the most valuable use of my audience's time? Not really. Uh, so that's just kind of where I come down on the LP anymore. I'm, I'm, no matter how much I'd like to be independent from the LP, I'm associated with it. People like Spike think I'm a delegate, uh, and so it is what it is. So, I mean, am, am I, I think it does, I think the LP does a lot of good as well. You know, you see their candidates, you see LP candidates having positions adopted by there is no you it is so hard to get time with a candidate or an elected official and when you run for office you are standing on a debate stage with them at county forums with them you're debating ideas with them and talking with them especially the lower the race you know several of Rupert's ideas in the gubernatorial race were enacted by Mike Pence because he thought they were good ideas and so you can raise that is one very positive way that the LP affects our country and uh you know by and large it is a net benefit to the country and it it is a positive exercise for a lot of people is it is it is the thing that i would choose to spend most of my time on not anymore and that's why right so there's also a lot of local stuff that can be done so being a part of the lp is great but being part of your state party is good too. That's, that's really where most of the stuff happens. So a great example is a friend of ours, Andrew Bowman, right? He gets out there, he works in the community, he gets onto the rotary club. He makes a difference. He, um, one, we hear, he heard that there was a need for blood to be donated. He went out there and, and organized a blood drive. He did stuff for his community. Right. And that's how you get known within the community and you can start making changes. You talk to the, you, you, you get to know the people who are the, the, who are the, um, the the people behind the scenes who really make the decisions, right? So, I mean, you've talked about it before when you've got into and you started talking to leaders uh, in Indiana, you know, doing your leader, the, the podcast you do, how most of them didn't even know much about libertarians or libertarian people. It was just not in their heads, headspace because they were behind the scenes doing the, the work that needs to be done to get things moving forward. Yeah, so, but before we talk more about be, that, oh, I, I want to mention the Hody Johns mask. Uh, so if you ever – Hody Johns has this massive long comment, and when I put it on the screen, it, it gives you a great mask. You can watch on, on YouTube. Um, so Jeff but says yeah, – uh, so Like in Colorado, they, you know, they were the first to you know, do recreational, not just marijuana, but also uh, um, mushrooms, right? So that was mainly because of the effort of the libertarians in that area – moving through the the political activism activism um, of the state and getting that in place. So yeah. there's there's positive that can be done 
but you have to pick and you have to know where and pick where and be where you're most comfortable at, where you think you make the most difference at. And it runs the gamut. There's not, it's not one place or the other place. It's, it's all over and we need everybody. Yeah. So my, my personal disappointment came, you know, I mean, the, I worked really hard at the LPIN and I didn't feel that I always got a lot of support from the people that I felt were friends. And, you know, the final straw was kind of 2016 with the Melissa dominatrix stuff that we've talked about, you know, I'm not going to revisit it. And then, you know, just seeing Gary Johnson get kicked around a lot and being told he's not a real libertarian. I'm like, why do I want to be involved in a party that doesn't believe that Justin Amash isn't a libertarian? Like he's a constitutionalist. Like I get, if you're an anarchist, you don't like that, but like he's still a libertarian, right? And so I, I don't feel that there is enough space there. I, mostly, I feel that I'm more effective for creating new libertarians doing this, and so I don't have the time. My time for for liberty is spent here and doing this. And uh, yeah, the Leaders and Legends podcast that I produce, I, I've spent sixty episodes going and talking with the elite of this town and state, and. Very few of them know anything about the Libertarian Party of Indiana or anything that we have talked about or any of my work. Uh, some of them know who I am, but they don't know anything. You know, So the money and the power in this town, we're not making an impact on them. So is it hopeless? Um, no, I don't think so. And Jeff follows up and says, I don't know how to best advance liberty in government and spread ideas that actually help communities and also be anti-Boog, which is not being a violent revolutionary trying to overthrow the government how do you expect freedom just wanted clarification i think each person has to understand their times and their time and their talent and so my talent is talking and getting attention <laughs> and so i'm good at organizing people and i'm good at media and so what i did is form we're libertarians and we've had you know people like paul and reinhold and harry and and all of our hosts and we have a magazine now and we have multiple shows Brand new show by Rimzo Martinez. Keaton Tucker is about to join the network. You know, look for On the Run with Rimzo W. Martinez in your podcatcher, as well as Freedom Strips. Um, so I I'm using what I feel are my best talents to advance libertarianism. If you're an accountant, it may be running the being the treasurer for your state, local party, or a candidate. You know, if you are... You know, I, I don't know what, you, what you're good at, but God has given you a talent, and you should use that for libertarianism in some way. And if you go and apply it, then it's valuable. Even if you're not making the thousands of thousands of impact that like maybe Tom Woods or, or Gary Johnson is making, that's, uh, that's okay. If you're impacting like Andrew Bowman doing that blood drive in his community, being a part of his local Rotary Club, that's enough. Because he's, he's a sane libertarian. Our friends out of the Boss Hog of Liberty are the media in Henry County now. And it's because they go, oh, there's sane libertarians like Jeremiah and Dakota. Well, sane-ish. And, you know, <laughs> something like if you feel kind of like I do most days that you don't really have much to offer, one of the easiest things that you can do is get involved in a campaign, get some literature from the campaign, and go door to door and canvas. Yeah. It's harder now, uh, depending upon your local restrictions. But, you know, in normal times, just go out there and be that person that shows up and says, hey, you should support this candidate because they're wanting to do good for our community. And, and I don't want to insult you, but I think you've come yeah. to the conclusion that you're a better worker bee than candidate. 
And we need Absolutely. worker bees. We don't need people who want to be center of attention. There's plenty of those people. God knows. No, it, it took two races for me to realize that I'm a lousy candidate. <laughs> and being my own boss means that I'm not going to get as much work done as I would signing up for somebody else's campaign. Yeah. So when we get when we start talking about what we can do to advance liberty too, there's something that always has really kind of bugged me, especially in like the presidential debates that we've been talking about where the candidate, you know, the candidate says, I'm going to go in and I'm going to change the way things work in Washington. We're going to get in there and we're going to examine everything and we're going to figure it out. Like, I really think you should probably try to figure it out before then. Um, but my, my contention has always been people are going to be more apt to give you um, to give you the political power, give them, give you their vote. If you can prove to them that you're wanting to take care of the things that you're talking about. So an example, we want better education, right? We don't believe that we should have a federal education. We, we don't believe that that education body should be forced, but there should be some organization outside of government that is trusted, that gives recommendations that local schools can then work on, right? So let's put that organization in place now. Why are we waiting until we get into office? Why are we waiting until we grab political power? We don't need to do that. We can go out and make a difference now by putting together organizations to replace all the things that government does currently. And then when people say, well, we need this, we need this service because these people need it. You can say, no, there's this organization over here already doing it. They're doing a better job of it and proving the case. And people are more apt to go. Yeah. Why are we wasting our money doing this when we've already got this over here working? Right. So that's how I think you make changes. Yeah. Uh, so I think this feels like a good time to, to play this little clip that we just posted to YouTube recently. Uh, it's by Michael Munger. He is a great, great libertarian. He ran for, uh, I think, in 2008. But my, if you don't know who Michael Munger is, he, he teaches political science at Duke. Look him up. Follow him. He is excellent. Um, but one thing that I think we need to take away from this convention, because you've got Joe Jorgensen, who fits more on the directional libertarian scale. You've got Spike, who fits more on that destination. You've got Boomer Joe Jorgensen, Millennial Spike. You've got uh, more of the Prague folks following Joe Jorgensen. You've got the Vermin and Hornberger people kind of lined up behind Spike. So you've got to, you, and they're both homegrown. If you're one of the people who's been bitching about, we need to have less former Republicans run for office, this is your time to shine. And I expect you to do a lot of work because I'm tired of hearing your bitching. This is your chance. Show up. And so this is a campaign that really is a unity ticket. I know a lot of people are skeptical. How could Spike, so young, so shirtless, be a reasonable candidate? All I'm going to say is go back and listen in the feed to our conversation with him. Watch him on YouTube. Watch him in some of these debates. He's he's a very impressive guy, and he won over pretty much all the delegates because he is skilled. He is a great messenger, and he is, I don't think, going to be a disappointment. And I know people are kind of attacking him, and I believe unfairly. Uh, and I, I just, I'm totally comfortable with him being the vice presidential candidate. I don't know about, yeah. about you guys. Well, uh, he was not my first choice. Uh, I would have much preferred to see a ticket with Mons on it. Uh, but I will say, uh, I am not going to disparage the ticket for having him on it. I'm willing to be impressed and I, I would rather, if I'm going to be disappointed in the ticket, 
for one reason or another. I would rather work to fix those issues I see than to sit back and snipe at them for running. Yeah, I bet you if you message Spike right now about your concerns, he'll politely email you back, which is why people like him. What do you think about Spike, Reinhold? You got to unmute yourself, bro. I thought you were going to do a clip, so I no. muted myself. Yeah, sorry. So, yeah, ADD. Um, ADD's a bitch. So Spike, I think, is energetic. He's smart. He's awfully he's awful successful, right? So he's proven that he can be a success. He's proven he's got energy. He's proven he's got a good messaging. So I think he's going to add to the ticket in areas that I think maybe Joe Jorgensen might fall a little short on, right? So I think it's more of a synergy as opposed to um, – necessarily one being better than the other or one style be better than the other style. But I think having both, uh, you know, a more, uh, a more kind of calm and, and uh, presidential candidate and then a hype man or a wingman in the sides uh, helping get the crowd going for the candidate, I think is where he's going to really shine. So, yeah. So uh, I listen, these candidates were largely selected and I think there is some awareness on their campaign on on the Jorgensen campaign that they've been selected as caretakers. We are here keeping things running, and we're going to do our best to not screw it up. And we are here to help. And uh, you know, they would deny that because they have to deny it. But I think that that is kind of the the mo. And this is a ticket that ticks all the boxes for all the libertarians. Unfortunately, the voters are largely going to be left out of that consideration, and we chose candidates that we liked as opposed to candidates that... But what what were our choices? Let's be honest. We've been critical of the ticket in some ways. Who is going to do any better? I think everybody kind of understands that this is... This is up to the election gods, and so all all the people who I, in my view, wrongly say that Gary Johnson only got three percent because he was running against Trump and Hillary, we'll see if that bears out in November, because I don't think that Jorgensen will get as much media attention as Gary Johnson. I think Johnson got so much media attention, you know, it went from like a dozen to twenty interviews. It felt like in twenty twelve because uh, I tracked a lot of them to hundreds, you know, dozens a month. That 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 name ID is the most crucial factor in in people picking people who are people don't just walk in and push a button willy nilly if they're independents usually they actually think about their vote people who vote for libertarians think about their vote they're not walking in just pushing straight ticket buttons uh, so <clears throat> this ticket is well balanced this ticket has everything that libertarians will hopefully like and will not just will not pick on them let them be successful but. You know, I, as much as I don't like binaries, um, I think what uh, Michael Munger, which I started to set this clip up, talked about really uh, what Munger talks about in this clip is he distills down in a couple minutes what we're talking about and why we're all fighting. And uh, so I want you to hear it. I've written a couple of papers recently where I've tried to distinguish between destination libertarians and direction libertarians. Destination libertarians are those who say, if it doesn't satisfy the destination I have in mind, we have to get rid of all of it. Whereas direction libertarians say, if it reduces the size of government and increases personal liberty, it's a step in the right direction. It's really hard to get people excited about incremental gains. What's more exciting is the idea that we can have a revolution that change the world. 
So we need both. The problem is that the people who want big changes right away are, well, my name for them is ex-libertarians. Because after five years, they didn't have any impact. And they're very unhappy. I, all of us know people who, for a few years, were very excited, we're going to change things, we're going to get rid of all these government programs. And they go to talk to people, and they go, oh, no, <laughs> that's not what I want. Whereas if you say, if you say politically, this might actually be possible and make everyone better off, then you might be able to accomplish it. But I've been at the last two Libertarian National Conventions, and it was striking to me at the divide between those people who wanted to talk about political issues and things that we might accomplish, and the others who wanted to know whether or not individuals should be able to own nuclear weapons. <laughs> You should have to have eight years before you talk about nuclear weapons. <laughs> For the first seven beers, you should talk about actual policy things, things that you're going to try to accomplish, people that you're personally going to try to mobilize and inform and get to vote that way. So I, the, the eighth beer, great, we'll talk about it. But I actually find that... I was more successful as a libertarian gubernatorial candidate with non-libertarians. I had a lot of libertarians tell me, you know, I'm not voting for you. You're for school vouchers. You actually want school choice. There shouldn't be any public schools. And any program that allows public schools to continue, I'm not going to support. And so I'm going to write in Ron Paul. I'm absolutely serious. I'm absolutely serious. And that was the very first video that I ever edited. Uh, that was originally posted to the Libertarian Party of Indiana page when he came to speak in Indiana. Thanks to Rob Kendall. First time I ever met Rob was at that event. He was friends with Munger and put that event together. And, uh, yeah, so uh, great, great explanation. And so here's what I would say as we move forward. Let's move forward united. Even if you were not thrilled, I get it. But there's no reason, if you're not happy, to pick on people. And like he said, I'm going to vote in, I don't like your school voucher position. I'm going to write in Ron Paul, who had the same position. Uh, <laughs> and so <laughs> let's just move forward together, I think is the point. And so you don't have to like every libertarian. I didn't like that Gary Johnson was pro-choice. I'm pro-life. I still voted for Gary Johnson twice. I supported Gary Johnson and promoted him. Uh, you know, there are people who are like, well, I'm pro-choice and she's pro-life. I'm not, I don't know. She won't clarify her position on abortion. But the fact that you're constantly hounding on that in, and they've given answers and it's not good enough tells you that you're being the problem. Like, so at the end of the day, give everybody a chance. Let them move forward. And, you know, if you believe that the best messaging tactic is Jacob Hornberger's. We're going to talk about the destination. We're going to give you pure, unfiltered liberty, and you're going to love it like Ron Paul did. That's fine. All right. If you are the Amash crowd who I'm going to give you pragmatic, step-by-step -step solutions to get us towards that destination, that's fine with me too. You know, and when we, when we make it not fine, like... Before the convention, that spirited discussion should take place. Uh, 
because it's incredibly important who the candidate is, what messaging tactic takes place. There's ways to do it. In, in some ways, was Hornberger overcritical? Probably. Was he totally out of bounds for criticizing that tactic? No. It was the appropriate time and place to have a lot of those discussions. In my opinion, these two may not agree with me. But now that we have a candidate, I'm not going to pick on Joe, even if I don't think she's perfect. Just because she's got to do her thing, I'm going to do my thing, and I'm gonna, we're going to coexist together. Maybe we'll even have an interview at some point and address some of these concerns. But the reality is, what can I do about it? I didn't show up and vote. And if I had my vote, wouldn't have my vote wouldn't have mattered because I was f- for somebody else. <laughs> so it just is what it is now. I, I mean, and I know that's oh, that's just like the, the Republican Party and the Democrat Party. It's just blind loyalty to the party. No, I maybe, but at the end of the day, like I think there's a difference between picking on people and being just. I don't know. What am I trying to say, Reinhold? Well, what you're trying to, I think what you're trying to say is that, first of all, what else are you, who are you going to vote for besides the libertarian ticket? Thank if you're you. a libertarian. Trump? And, no. And, Biden? No. Yeah. You're going to vote for Biden. You're not going to vote for the Constitution Party, which is a bunch of theocrats. You're not going to vote for the Green Party candidate. You might write somebody in. And, and if you want to write somebody in as a protest, go ahead, write somebody in. But just know that. Going out and and trying to purposely cause the libertarian candidate to fail is going to make it harder for the next libertarian candidate to to achieve anything, even when it's the person you think is the perfect. That's what I I like. I'm not trying to see anybody fail. I think that's the thing. And there there have been some impulses over the last four years to see people fail or or to purify the party by calling heresy on certain things like i i see the jury nullification i understood what the judge was saying i did not agree with him but i felt that the reaction to it was english reformation spanish inquisition heretical bullshit we were burning the man at the stake because he had a position as president he's not going to deal with jury nullification his position will have nothing to do with jury nullification Adam Kokesh and certain candidates took advantage of that non-germane issue to torture the guy, to drive him out of the race. You shouldn't support him because if you do, it's heresy. I don't appreciate that kind of tactic. I I don't agree with the judge on it, but any one of these five, even Vermin, I could see myself voting for them and saying, yeah, here's here's the candidate. Tell me what you think. Let's talk about it to my friends and family. So, uh, all right. And, and when we talk about Kokesh too, what was his, his whole deal was he was going to get into the office and resign the first day, which I don't know what he thinks that's going to accomplish because all it's going to do is put, uh, Nancy Pelosi in as, as the president, right? Now you're that's picking, how the progression now, we're goes. Trying to move forward. Right. We're trying to yeah. move forward so, united. Yeah. We're trying to move forward united. What are you doing? I'm just saying. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of hip, hypocritical, right, to go after somebody like that in a candidacy. Okay, so here's what when, we're going to do. We're going to end this episode, and we're going to come right back and start another episode. But I'm going to make this two separate episodes, 
And so that way, because we're at an hour and a half now, there's no reason to do a three hour episode. Uh, what am I crazy on that? Should we keep going? I mean, no, no, let's it do could that. be classic wall time. Be hour All right, let's. Can we so, keep it yeah. to thirty minutes on the LNC stuff? Reinhold, can you keep it to thirty minutes? It's up to you. I mean, I think we can stop. No, let's just yeah, keep, let's I mean, just keep going. I can do that. Let's either just way. keep going. Uh, uh, okay. Paul, your mic's frizz, fritzing out a little bit, so I may mute. I'm you. sorry. Yeah, you sound horrible. Actually, can you just take that headset off? I'd rather have the crappy audio. Um, <clears throat> okay, so what the fuck, Reinhold? That's my question. I have enough on my plate trying to deal with my own life and the insanity of the Republicans and Democrats and trying to prep for the show and do that. Uh, I don't totally get what is going on with this convention stuff. I had a long conversation with several different people over the last week trying to understand it. I'm going to set it up and then you tell me where I got it wrong, okay? Long, okay. long story short... We're in a pandemic, and there's part of the party that doesn't believe that you should have an in-person convention in the middle of a pandemic. Then there's another part of the party that doesn't think that it matters and that it's fake news a little bit, and we should, and I'm, I'm sort of moving into that camp, uh, that, that there is, it's not as dangerous in May or June as we thought it was in March, so let's have the convention in person. And so there was a debate over whether to have it in person or online. Then somebody comes up with the idea of doing a bifurcated convention, a word coined by Ken Molman running for vice chair, whom I like. And so the bifurcated convention basically did the president and the vice president on Memorial Day because they needed to get that for ballot access. And then the rest of the convention with the officer elections, like chair, vice chair, secretary, bylaws platform all that will be done at the in-person convention it was supposed to be done in austin this past weekend right mm-hmm. in austin texas yes austin said right. no way the hotel said no way so they found uh a orlando and a place in orlando a hotel in orlando was willing to have the in-person and that is going to be july like july 9th 10th yeah, July 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th, I think. Inconveniently, five days after I leave Florida. Uh, they couldn't rearrange it for my schedule. How rude. Uh, and so now they're... So what they did is they held the nominating part online, nominated the candidates, did the uh, debate in person, and now they adjourned the, and released the delegates and passed... A, before they did, they passed a motion that... The convention will re- re-adjourn will, or resume in Orlando on this specific date at this specific place. And then they adjourn the convention and release the delegates. And so now the controversy is if the hotel falls through or the chair won't sign the contract based on the advice of legal counsel, which doesn't like the contract, and they're forced to, some for some for whatever reason... They can't have the in-person convention in Orlando on those specific dates at this hotel. There will not be another convention. And for the next two years, you will have the same LNC platform and bylaws that you have right now because they can't 
do another convention because they released the delegates. What have I gotten wrong? Well, there's there's some more clarifications and nuance to that okay. that you made that you didn't have. So so basically, what happened was uh, in in March, some members of the LNC had kind of raised the thing that saying, "Hey, with this pandemic thing happening, we don't know what's going to happen with Austin. We should kind of think of an alternative solution to make sure that our presidential candidates can get and, and vice presidential." presidential candidates can get nominated so that we can make sure that we're on the ballot in all the states that we need to be on. Right. So they proposed that uh, it was ignored. Nothing did. Nobody did anything. Um, and pretty much just kind of status quo thinking that Austin was just going to happen and everything was going to be fine. Well, uh, about four, three or four weeks ago, the uh, Austin plan fell through because the pandemic just didn't disappear. Like everybody thought, and so they had to come up with a new solution. So they decided they were going to meet in that they had expressed to the convention committee to go out and find solutions for them to have another in-person convention and what time it would be and what city would be in. Yes. They and that's, came a back distinction, with, that's a distinction that should be made clear is that there's a COC, the convention committee, and then there's the national committee and then there's the chairman and then there's a lawyer and then there's all these different factions within all of this. And this is the point when everything starts to fall apart because one staff member, who is the highest-ranking staff member, uh, makes a claim to someone on the LNC that they don't want to have an in they don't want to have an in person convention. We need to push the online convention because we don't want the Mises Caucus and Smith to win the chairmanship which Smith and the Mises caucus find out, and then they claim the online convention is a total conspiracy. And so the Mises caucus wants to do an in-person convention. Now I know, now listen, this is what the, there's, there's two factions here. There is the, let's just for the sake of the binary arguments, call it the pragmatic caucus versus the Mises caucus. So the Mises caucus claims that it was the intention of Nick Sarwark and the pragmatic people to do an online convention because that's going to be more favorable towards their preferred candidates versus the pragmatic caucus, which says you just want to have an in-person convention because the Mises caucus is full of young guys that are going to show up, aren't going to have the same health risks as the older delegates, and you're going to dilute the pool to have a better chance of winning these officer elections and get the candidates you want. And then everybody got super pissed at the third pop fa faction that popped up of people who wanted the bifurcated convention because then all your schemes went out the window if there were indeed schemes. So that is the kind of a summation of the scuttlebutt. Do I have that right? Uh, to a point, yeah. So so what happened was they decided to go with the the you know the July date in Orlando, and there was immediate. Lashing, lashing out at that because people were saying we can't do that because then we have several states who can't field a candidate this year. We need to have the presidential and vice presidential candidate. We need to have it sooner, not in July. So we have to do something else. This isn't going to work. So they started pushing for a full online convention. And the chair wants a full online convention because in his mind, we do the convention as we had originally planned. We get it done. We get the candidate dates out there we finish our business and so then we can focus our efforts on getting our candidate elected we, we're not going to spend the next month and a half arguing about who's going to be chair and having 
fights back and forth in the party and all that stuff will be settled. He wanted it all settled. Sarwark so was he wanted very, an all online. Sarwark was very vocally. Sarwark was very much on the side of, you know, science and the, I'm trying to think of an avatar. Like, you know, he, he, he tweeted a lot of really solid information about, you know, the projections and science and here's this and that. And, you know, that, that could be, personal concern and then he it's been charged because everything is a star Wars conspiracy that he was only doing that to try and set the tone that we needed to do an online convention right but i mean whether what his motivations were it's you know who's to say one way or the other a lot of people have theories all i know is that 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 was his stated goal was that he wanted to have online on that weekend everything done Let's focus on the rest of the stuff we need to do. And that was what he said at the end of the convention that we just had. That was um, a little clip that I put together for that. But before we get there, so so there was this push to do all online. And then there's this people who say, no, we have to be in person for various reasons. You've got a, a block that says we have to do in person in order to fundraise. That's how we that's how we make most of our money to run for two years is by selling these packages at convention and having all these auctions and doing all this stuff to raise money. It's like a big party. They do all the raising of money then. So there are people who say we need to do that in order to function for the next two years. Then there are people who say we want to have all online, all in person because that's tradition. And, and if you care about the party, then you'll show up and do it. And we only want people who care about it enough to show up in order to have a say. Um, and then you've got the people who want to do all online who say who, I would be in that camp who say that I want a full delegation as much as we can. I don't want to have 700 people or 600 people or 250 or whatever at this convention in Orlando, whatever it would happen to be uh, having a say in what's going to happen because it's not a representative of the body. The, the larger of the delegation pool you have is the best way to go. And in this last weekend we had, Voting for president, all but two of the delegates that were allotted voted. So, <laughs> and this is we got ever- into. I got into a back and forth with somebody the Mises Caucus Twitter, <clears throat> and they said you don't believe that you you believe that an in person convention would be attended worse than an online convention with all the tech problems that people have. I said this is basic economics. You've now removed the requirement to travel. You've now removed the requirement to spend on a hotel room. You've now made it extremely cheap to attend the convention. It now fits within people's schedules better. Everybody's going to attend that convention. Maybe two or three people, like Starchild, will have tech issues. Uh, But by and large, most everybody will attend. That is not the same for an an in-person convention. And so I I agree with you that an in-person convention, it worked out fine. They did a bunch of test runs. And I don't see what the problem was. I I don't get what the issue was here. It's safer, it's cheaper, and it worked. So on my end of things where I say that we should have online, one of the other things I say for for that is because what you kind of what you said, we have the best and brightest of the delegates – able to contend. So if every year you have to, you know, take time away from your work, you have to travel, you have to spend money on getting there. You have to spend money on the hotel. The the party gets a little bit of a kickback on all this stuff. 
right? But they don't get a kickback on the travel. They don't get a kickback on the time you lost doing it. And in this year, a lot of states are going to have requirements that you be quarantined for two weeks when you get back from the convention. So that's another two weeks of your life. Right. You can't go to work or do anything like that. You're kind of stuck. So that's another burden that was going to be placed on, on people going to the convention. Right. So in a full online convention, which I think we're in 2020, we can do this. This is something we can, can accomplish. Um, and I've, I've talked about it on the podcast before of my reasons behind that. And I've written an article about it, but that was kind of where I was at, where you have, the ability to have a good representative body of all the best candidates out there um, or all the best delegates uh, of the state. So the state can say, I want these people to go. And then they go, well, I can't go this one. I can't go. So we have to pick and choose and make a different list. Right. So I want, we want the best people there. And as we saw this weekend, there was a lot, it was full. So, so that that kind of started a back and forth. They came to the to the agreement after there was a lot of arguing going on. They came back and agreed that they would go ahead and have the online convention for the president and vice president, and then they would do the um, in place convention for everything else. But the problem is, is that they waited so long to make that decision to do the online thing that now they're scrambling to try and make it work. So they, they do what they can. They grab uh, um, a zoom, they get a zoom thing working. They do trial runs. And of course there's problems initially because they're just trying this out and figuring out what works best. So everybody's screaming that this is going to be a failure and uh, this is not how you do things. And yeah, the, there are the, problems the, with an online <laughs> convention. It's, the cynicism. Yeah, what do you account for? And listen, I know that I'm a reactionary cynic myself, but like, at least I at least have some rays of optimism. And there just seems to be a knee jerk. This is all gonna suck. It's doom and gloom. Nothing's gonna work. Like, I don't get that. It's it's especially pronounced in the Libertarian Party. Where here's an idea. No, that's stupid. Shut up, idiot. It's like your older brother. It's just a party of your older brothers. We're, we're supposed to be the party of, of proving that private organizations can work better than government. <laughs> and what do we do? Spend our time making the opposite point to everybody. Right. And why would anybody vote in that case? Right. So <clears throat> because so it was my understanding, too, that so the GOP of Utah did a full online convention. Uh, it was successful. They have more delegates than we have nationally. And everybody said it worked great. The company who did that, I guess, had offered to do our convention, and it was set on because we were going to have an in-person convention. That was the direction that the COC had been given, do an in-person direction, so they ignored it. So we had the opportunity months ago to have an alternative in place that if in the eventuality we can't do Austin, in the eventuality we have to figure something else out, we would have a backup. We would have something to say, okay, we thought about it. It didn't work but we've prepared and that didn't happen. So, so now we're scrambling. So now this is, this agreement has been made and we're in a scrambling. And part of the thing was, is that they everybody made such a big deal about this agreement that we were going to have that people were trying to say, you have to be a party of the agreement. We have to have so many people uh, basically sign that they're going to be in the agreement verbally that, uh, that it holds together. Right. So um, that's the only way this is going to work. So at the first 
opening bell of the online convention, there were a lot of obstructionists who didn't want to have it work at all. So they're calling questions about the, uh, the delegate reports they are trying to throw up a bunch of red flags and be obstructionist. So Friday night was a mess with everybody just trying to do anything they can to get the, the thing canceled right away. That failed because so they literally the just acted like wanted to have they literally to just we're going to act as awful as possible to try and get this canceled. Yeah. You're shitting me. Yeah, they were calling censors of the of the the chair they were calling for uh adjournments they were calling a question on on a lot of the delegations and the, how can you say the delegate list is right this is not the way we've always done it the delegate list should be audited and we should be able to see it you should put it on the screen so we can all look at it they were doing all kinds of things that they could do just to make it painful for everybody who, who is night. they but once it, once it got through and we got the agenda passed right the next day we came in and do president went great you know, there's there's people complaining that they weren't being recognized and there was problems with some voting here and there. People weren't getting their ballots and little tech issues. But for the most part, everybody kind of just got together, did the thing and got a presidential candidate nominated. Yeah, to the let's point go, where we let's were go backwards. Who, who, who is they like what who was doing the, the bullshit on Friday? Oh, uh, the usuals, uh, Abernathy, Star, those types of people, it's people who are. They're, they're very focused on Robert's rules. They're very focused on this isn't right, that a place isn't, you know, this this isn't a real convention because it can't take place. You know, we can't just vote ourselves into being able to have a convention. You have to be able to have the convention first to then vote the ability to be an online convention, right? So that's their their kind of block. And it's do like these people you're going not, against the will of the delegates. Yeah, do these people not know that nobody gives a fuck? Like this is like student government with a bigger budget. Like this is LARPing. Nobody cares about your Robert. I, I I get it. I know you have to have rules, but like at a certain point, I don't get this need to to dot every I and cross every T. People lose their minds in the rules and forget the intent. What? The intent is Robert's rules is that the minority view can be heard, right, and not be squelched. But at the end of the day, the majority will wins out. So you get the minority to speak their mind, to try to change minds, to try to make their case. When it uh, at the end of the of the debates, uh, if not enough people are swayed, the majority still wins. You accept it and you move on. But there are people who use the rules to try to block and be dilatory and slow things down and get people frustrated so that they'll just change their vote and try to get their way that way. So I'm going to remove Paul. Um, so this shows up, right? But let, let me read this. Uh, so, cause I want you to tell me if this is right. Cause cowboy 2003 on YouTube is saying, tell the whole story, Nick open the convention attempting to have an all online convention. Once the agenda as agreed upon was passed, the dilatory BS stopped. I don't know what dilatory means. What does that mean? Uh, dilatory is being purposely, Blocking, um, slowing down business, not letting anybody else speak, just so it's basically per- throwing a wrench. Right. It's right. a nice and word so- for being a butt. And then he says, then again, on day three, Nick again tried to have the entire convention online to support by three-fourths of the delegates wanting to honor the bifurcated meeting compromise. So let's go back to the to that first comment. Yeah, cool. Open, hold on. Opening the convention, what did Nick do that day? The chairman, Nick Sarwark. Nick ran the, the meeting that day. He didn't do anything. The, the accusation is that he has his little guys, his people, 
trying to, you know, throw a wrench into the agenda to try to get things added to the agenda. Now, there were people who tried to get things added to the agenda. That's their right to do. There are people who tried to get the agenda to be closed and not have an online convention. Are you saying that? Are you saying that Nick doesn't have his own faction? I'm sure he does. I'm sure he has business people doing things the way he wants to get done because he's a human being and we're all in the party doing this thing. I don't know why he, you know, everybody's here. I'm going to get to this near the end here, but um, basically there is a built up around Nick to the point that everybody will lose their mind because he has an opinion. Right. Right. Or he wants, he, he thinks something should be this way or that way. Right. They can, and I can prove it at the end of this. Right. So we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah, there were both sides were trying to do this. There were people who, and it wasn't just Nick. There were people who won an online convention and wanted to try to get all of this done. So they were trying to amend the agenda to allow other things to happen. There were people who were trying to close it out. The majority of people, as is the case, voted no to all of it. Were able to push it through. And because because even me, I, I won an awful online convention. Right. But this wasn't the weekend to do it. We hadn't had the time to prepare a good system. There were problems in the system. There's no way. I mean, you're not going to have an LNC election when the people haven't really had a chance to, to campaign because they're expecting it to be in the in-person election. That's not fair to them. There was all these reasons why that wasn't the weekend to do it. So I disagree completely with Nick on that. But I understand his point. It's like I understand the people point who think that should be on on in person. I don't agree with it, but I understand their point. Right. So, but there are factions on both sides who are trying to have their way. They're trying to make their voice known, which is what the whole point of the process is. The minority view tries to express their position and change minds. It didn't work. The majority said no. We want to have just the president and, and vice president, and that's what the agenda is going to be set. And let's move on. Once that was done. Things started going pretty well. Then uh, Sunday rolls around. We do the vice presidential thing. Everything kind of goes well through that. Well, let me pause there, too, because there were also some accusations against Nick, and this feels like a good place to talk about it, because I reached out to some of the people who are making the accusations to ask about it, because I know them and I trust them. And I said, you know, apparently he's threatening people. Nick, Nick Sarwark, the chairman, was messaging people, threatening them, calling them and threatening them. I was like, what's this about? And so the conversation that I had was convincing in that you have a a chairman who is using his position to try and pressure a vote by saying, if you don't vote this way, you're going to, in the long run, regret it. Now, by some that was taken as a threat that I will get even with you and then by others that was taken as he was just stating the obvious, which is he believes that this is going to go one way and he doesn't want you to regret it. People fell on either side of that, but that particular strain of pressure was applied to many different people. And there wasn't a great effort to conceal a lot of that too. So he's the sneakiest like bully in the in the world because i read the screenshots (laughs) like you know what i mean like so so there's some truth in the middle and it's not you know for for nick nick's people kind of told me like yeah it's common sense the chair thinks this thing he says you're going to regret it politically which rings true 
but I could certainly see how other people felt that it was an inappropriate conversation to have. Well, it, it's it, it, go what ahead, happens Paul, is go you ahead. get a mindset. Let, let, ahead, poor, Paul, let poor Paul talk. Yeah, so are we going to be upset that political pressure was applied to people within a political party practicing politics? Uh, it, the the accusation that this is somehow beyond the pale for Nick to have done strikes me as a very odd one when, you know, there are things within the county party in Marion County that, you know, I'm not happy with and I'm going to apply what pressure and what sway I have to the, see things changed. You know, it's the same thing at a different level. And I don't understand how this is somehow beyond the pale that he has a position and the chair should be neutral, but he is acting in the best interest as he sees it for the party. I don't understand the outrage. I think it's because he is supposed to be somewhat impartial and he pretends to be impartial and he's not, he's not impartial about anything. And I, I still, and I can't prove this, but I think the reason our debates didn't get shared to the LP social media is because he was still pissed about the Tom Wood stuff. You know, I mean, he is a human being with with uh, emotions and feelings and pettiness like all of us, but then pretends to be above it all. And then there's there's a certain level of sneakiness to all these different factions that just you go, what? Like, just everybody just put your cards on the table. That's one reason that, you know, Ken Molman did that debate and 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 Ken and I go way back. It's like. And I know that Sam Goldstein is somewhat controversial now, and you guys may or may not agree with this, but Sam's my former boss. I worked for Sam for four years, for three years. He's incredibly candid, and he you know where he stands. He's just going to tell you straight to your face what he thinks, and that's what gets him in trouble a lot of times. That's the Those are the kind of guys that I think do well in the Libertarian Party because it is so small, and everybody does talk because it is like high school government. It isn't like a real like big organization that's very professional. It's a lot of people getting drunk at the bar after the meeting saying, oh, comparing notes about what did he say to you, what did he say to you. And so you can get yourself into a lot of trouble if you're not careful. And some people are careful, and I think Nick is careful about what he says sometimes, but then I think sometimes – not so careful. And I think it's hurt his, him in his chairmanship. And this happens to every single chairman that every single chairman that's left. I think I've seen five or six go at this point. They all end in a cloud of this kind of like dramatic fashion and their reputations ruined and everyone hates them. And then like five years go by and the next guy's the asshole. And you'd start, it's like George Bush. Like, well, look at George Bush now and we go, you know, I kind of miss when he was president. I kind of miss Bill Clinton. Don't you love JFK? Like, but when JFK or Bill Clinton or George Bush were president, he was a fu- he was the asshole. Now it's Trump. You know, we're all softening on Barack Obama now. You know, you you remember the good stuff and the good times, and you let go of the bad, and our, our memories are, are blessings that way. So Nick is not leaving in any kind of circumstance that isn't on. Like, it's just the LNC is always like this. It's always a toxic fight about buying a building or funding a campaign or a certain ballot access thing. There's always some issue where they're, they're just always sniping at each other, forming factions and just being terrible to each other and embarrassing all of us. And that's why I'd never want to be a part right. of the LNC. Like it just you go there to right. ruin your activism. So my my belief is that the goal should be trying to make sure to do what's best for the party, to make sure that the minority view is heard, 
But at the end of the day, we all move together as a block and go forward. And that never happens because you've got too many people trying to jockey for power intra-party politics. And it's like, why are we having intra-party fights when we should be focused on bigger party fights? You're fighting the enemy, not ourselves. It's just it's a constant struggle and so much energy is wasted and, and just destroyed and people people's activism gets destroyed people try to get in the party and they just see all this bickering and fighting all the time and it's like i i i just don't i don't want to do anything it's because we're a party of i'm too i'm frustrated to the point where i'm ready to walk away after 30 years of being in a party because it's just getting so bad it's because we're a party of reactionaries people People see what is in front of them and they react to it and it's somewhat small-minded and i have this problem too which is something i'm trying to work on what do I stand for? What does the future look like? What is my vision for the country or for my own life? What is the vision for we are libertarians? What is the vision for my family? But instead, it's super easy to get caught up in, I hate that star. Ah, I hate that yard sign. I hate this. Per- this person annoys me. It's easy to get caught up in that petty bullshit. And Nick's not immune to it. Joshua Smith's not immune to it. And I'll give Smith credit. He has moderated and he has started to let go of some of that stuff. It looks like to me, at least in in past years. Uh, And, you know, but if he's chairman, it'll come back (laughs) like, you know, that's just the part of this job is that is that reactionary. And if we're ever going to get past it as a as a movement, we have to be less reactionary and more about. What do we stand for? What's our vision for the future? Why are the other guys the worst alternative? We need to we need to stop reacting and start being more proactive, more progressive. So I want to just finish off what happened with the end of the meeting, right? So we got to day three, and uh, we come to the point where we are done with all the vice presidential stuff, and now we have nothing left on the agenda. So the item would be at that point to either put something else on the agenda or adjourn. And that's when things started getting a little crazy, right? So we had people who had been asked to be put in line to speak as soon as the vice presidential candidate was done the day before. Because people had gotten together and had a well-written out motion that they were going to propose that cancel that closed the meeting out, adjourned to July in Orlando, but also allowed for the opportunity to change the rules so that we could allow remote connectivity if it was deemed necessary, right? Not guaranteeing it, not all this. It was just in the language that it was something that we could do if we needed to. Um, but that person didn't get a chance to speak because the first person who who was in, the person who was in front of them tried to put together a motion that was badly written and when it was questioned it stated that basically if this passed the entire convention would be over and there would be no Orlando and we would just be done without any LNC anything none of that stuff we would just be done so when people realized that that was going on they voted against it it went down so then the next person was supposed to get in line and was going to make the, the proposal I thought was a good one. Um, but there was a point of order. And, and, and at this point, before the, this next person got up to, to, to say their mind and, and the other person that, that had failed, be, be more, spe- when Nick be more clear, to- be more specific. Cause you're losing me a little bit. Like what, like just in, in 30 seconds, explain what did you like better than what was on the table or, or, or whatever. 
Well, originally what was on the table was that the convention would be done and we wouldn't have any. I think your internet's fuzzing out a little bit. This is ground control to Major Tom. All right, there you are. All right, start over. So basically, the the what was on the table, the first the first motion that was on the table was that it would cancel the rest of the convention for good, right. be done. Do it in Orlando, it would be done. Obviously, that was bad. Nobody wanted that. Right. So it failed very quickly. Then Nick raised a point of personal privilege. He made a uh, a few statements that he would not be chairing in Orlando that he was going to hand the gavel over to uh, Alex uh, Merced and that if people wanted to um, wanted to, to vote on his replacement, they should do it now. That was his recommendation. And then he walked off. People freaked out. They thought he was quitting the party. He was quitting as chair. He was resigning or all this other stuff, which he, he didn't do. He seems just said awfully he was, dramatic. What was the point of that? Um, he, well, he wanted to admonish some people that he thought was, was, were crossing the line. He said, lines were crossed. Things were done. I don't appreciate all this stuff. Everything I've done, I've always tried to do for the best for the delegates and for the party. Uh, I have been treated badly as it were. And he wanted to step aside because he wanted to have a place in the debate. So he wanted to, to step aside as chair so he could participate in the debate. So he right, was going to what was going uh, to happen. Okay, so he didn't want to chair the convention because he wanted to be able to speak about the motion on yes. the floor. He was not trying to resign his chair. He was trying to step right. down. And okay, all right, that's less dramatic. I, I thought I yes. was like Nick Dixon here. I don't have Nick to kick around anymore. There were, there were a lot of people who were confused, and there was points of orders, you know, points of information raised. So somebody said, "Okay, is this true? Is what's going on?" So he had to come back and say, "No, I'm not resigning as chair. Gotcha. Okay. I'm not resigning chair of a convention. I am just saying that I am handing over the gavel, and I will not be chairing in an in-person convention in Orlando." Got it. Okay. Right. And, so, and this speaks to your so, point that everybody's so eager to find Nick drama that he does something that sounds vanilla. And then all of a sudden it's, it's, is he resigning? Right. So what happened was, is that they were, they were talking about what to do next. The next person in line was supposed to give a, a, a motion. Uh, Daniel Hayes wanted to speak on he, I, I, he said, I've had my hand raised for three hours. I've been wanting to speak. Not nobody's letting me speak. So he wanted to give information on the contract for Orlando so that people could have the right information. There was a bit of back and forth on that and some accusations that the, the contract, which wasn't completed yet or hadn't been reviewed yet, had a, clo- a poison pill clause in it. And it was going to cost a bunch of money. And then there was some misrepresentations. It was a lot of stuff going back and forth about that. But in the end of the day, um, Nick was wanting to try to make the case that we should continue on having the convention so that we could be done. He thinks it's a waste of time to uh, go to Orlando. He thinks we should just do it all now and focus on the rest of the, uh, let the, let the presidential thing happen. Um, so uh, Hayes decided to put a motion forward, even though it was technically not his turn and he was supposed to just be answering questions. Um, he put a motion forward that basically states that the, all the delegates would be unseated that we would reconvene in Orlando 
And if for some reason we couldn't reconvene Orlando, the LNC had the power to pick another online location or another in-person location and date, right, to adjust as needed. There was no capacity in there to change the bylaws to allow for a hybrid type of convention and allow people who needed to uh, connect in remotely to be able to do that. That wasn't on the table. The bylaws weren't changed. The rules weren't changed to allow for it. Therefore, that wasn't in this offer. But so many people were so afraid, and, and there were a lot of people who wanted that. If you talk to them now, they're like, yeah, that's what we want, so we're working on it now. I'm like, you should have worked on it then. They were so afraid that Nick was going to somehow force everybody to do the rest of the convention with his small faction. I mean, 70% of the people did not want that, at least. And yeah, one, so of the comments, people- <clears throat> one of the comments earlier said three-quarters of the people wanted the bifurcated convention. Because right, but they didn't get that offer, and but they but they were they were basically baited into choosing this only online convention by Hayes because they had poisoned the well so much about Nick's trying to trying to do this to you, right? Mm-hmm. So they were so afraid that Nick was going to somehow force the whole body to do something they didn't want to do that they acted impulsively and just closed the debate and ended it with what they had. Yeah. So let's have Paul jump in here and then set up the clip Reinhold so we can wrap up. Yeah. So, and I don't even necessarily agree with the premise that it was uh, three fourths of the delegates were only wanting the uh, bifurcated convention uh, because I voted for the adoption of the agenda because I just wanted to get down to the business, and then we could add things later on. Uh, what ended up happening was we removed any chance for that debate to be had after we actually finished the actual business that we had. Mm. So set up the clip that you want to play. So the clip that I, I had made was just I, – I had clipped to the point where he started his uh, – Nick started his point of information or a point of personal privilege and stated the things that he said and then handed the gavel off to Alex. And I think that you can understand what Nick is trying to say here. Now, some people say that this is all pretend or play or whatever. And he's, he's a hypocrite and everything else. But I, I agree with some of the points he's making about lines that were crossed and how he has always in his mind tried to do what was best for the party. Okay. So hold on just one moment. Before Unfortunately with the zoom. Yeah. So all right, yeah. here we go. Before I call on the next person, I am going to take a point of personal privilege. Mr. Chair, please repeat those totals. 160, 681, and 20. Thank you. You're welcome. It has been my great honor to serve you as chair. It has been three terms I have served you as chair of this body. I have not always done everything right, but I've always done what I think is best for this party. I signed up for three terms to do this, and it's not an easy job. This will be the last convention that I will chair. If all the delegates would like to select my replacement, I would suggest that they do it now. I will not be chairing a convention in Orlando. I do not think it's prudent for us to have an in-person convention at this time. I think it distracts from the work that our party needs to be doing. 
I think it inconveniences the delegates assembled here who have been so patient and put in so much of their time. I think that some of the obstructionism that has been applied has exceeded the bounds of what is acceptable in disputes inside this party. There have been lines that have been crossed that should not have been crossed. There have been personal attacks that have been made that should not have been made. And there have been abuses of office and position that have hurt this party and hurt these delegates. And it is one of the few things that can actually make me angry. So with that, I'm going to give the gavel to Alex Merced. Okay, so that was at the end, and then that's why Merced took over and, and finished out, and they did the Hayes Amendment to basically the amendment that I talked about earlier where they're going to have it in Orlando, and that was him dropping the mic and walking off. And I, I hear the emotion. Right, well, he did, I, but I, he didn't. He didn't just walk away. He he came back and tried making motions and get, doing points of information. He was trying to debate after the fact, so he, gotcha. he did come back for that. But he wasn't chair anymore. I, I do chair. hear the emotion in his voice, and I do. I can tell just by his social presence that he is annoyed at at a lot of the the accusations made against him, and he's not really in a position to defend himself, which is. Uh, an unfair position where, you know, if if somebody says something about Joshua Smith, you know, and we've called Josh out, you know, sometimes maybe too much, to be honest, in, in a way that's unfair. I don't think that I've been totally unfair. Maybe sometimes. Uh, and for that, I apologize. I will. Uh, I will not apologize for the things I have posted <laughs> this week. Right. Uh, you know, I think. um I just don't like a lot of the center party tactics. I don't think that Josh does a lot of things right. I don't think that Nick does a lot of things right, but they do do a lot of things right. I've complimented Smith for bringing a lot of people to the party, for instance. Um, but uh, there is passion on all these different sides, and that's what kind of gets lost in all this. And you do hear that he is is passionate. Uh, I completely uh, have lost my point of what I was saying. Uh, so yeah, I, I hear the emotion in his in his voice, and I think he understands that not everything has has gone totally well. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I don't. Uh, so there is going to at this point. Uh, first, you comment on the clip because you selected it. Why is this important for you for our listeners to hear? Important to me was I think he was making a very good point about there's. We've got, we're going over lines here. I mean, there's been inter-party factions and fighting before in the party, but we're getting to the point where people are becoming completely unhinged to the point where they are so afraid that Nick is going to somehow by himself as Superman derail the whole thing as a delegate, not even as a chair. At that point, he had stepped down his chair. He was trying to work as a delegate. He had no greater rights than anybody else at that point. And they were so afraid that he was going to somehow either end the end the um, the convention completely or continue on with more business that they just went ahead and, and closed the bait and and chose this option and now everybody's saying well we need to we need to come up with a plan now for how, how letting people be online it's like you had a thousand people there that was the time to do it that was the time to have the debate but they were so like in in their heads 
uh, upset about just this personality, right? They've gotten themselves worked up to this point that it, it's almost like propaganda has been passed back and forth in the party and people are so scared to make a good decision. Right. And, and I've had people tell me that we had to vote on this in order to keep him from doing this. And I'm like, he had no support for what he wanted. It was never going to pass. It had failed so many times on both sides the whole weekend. Overwhelmingly, I don't know how anybody could have come to the conclusion that there was any support for what they think he wanted, which was probably what he wanted. And he, and he stated that he wanted to finish that convention because he doesn't want to waste our time for another month and a half with arguing about who's going to be the chair and this and that, and all this other stuff. He wanted to focus on the presidential race. So, um, but the people were just so incensed and frayed that they they acted ir- irrationally. I think. Yeah, I can right? buy that. Uh, yeah. So Craig says that's my impression as someone who has always given Nick the benefit of the doubt because he does respect the will of the delegates, and I do. I, I right. think if he doesn't think that he people are behind him, he's not going to do it. Like right now, if if it comes down to it, and uh, so there's some discrepancies on some of the, the you mentioned the clause and the contract and the lawyer the party's lawyer doesn't want them to sign the orlando contract and you know it's being spun as nick doesn't want to sign it because he wanted it in online so he's going to th- just destroy the whole thing when in reality the lawyer's saying hey you guys could be sued into oblivion for x y and z because of x y and z it's not a good idea to sign this well it's kind of a shitty right. position if you're if you're in leadership if you're in you know doesn't matter what you think of Nick or Joshua Smith or anybody. You're in that position where now you're in a place where you're going to destroy the convention or not destroy the convention or get the party sued. There, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Well, and when the when it first came out that they so they did the bifurcation thing, they decided they're going to do this. And then they in that meeting, that eight hour extravaganza that they did, um, deciding to do this online convention. They tried to get Nick to agree that he was going to sign the contract because he got it. And he says, I'm not signing anything until I've seen it. Right. And I'm also not going to sign anything that close to a convention when I think we need to find out what the delegates want to have done. Now, he was thinking that he might be able to convince the delegates to not have the convention in Orlando. And if he had signed piece of paper, that's going to lock the delegates in. But why would you want to? Why would the LNC want to lock the delegates into a decision a week before they agreed to let them have a convention and talk about it. That's just, to me, that's worse than what Nick was trying to do because they were trying to limit options instead of give options. Yeah. Right. They're trying to limit things that the, that the delegates would be able to do or feel like they could get away with because if they canceled it, they're on the hook for a hundred grand. But here's the reality. The lack of trust in Nick has to fall on Nick in some respects. Yeah. There, there is something that has been going on that you and I may not understand that is giving people that we know that are like not radical, crazy activists pause, and there's a reason they don't trust him. So I, I don't know what the right, truth they're, is they're, here, but I, I can tell you that so there's, there, there's got to be some other story that we're just not hearing. You know, I'm not saying that it's all Nick or all the other side, but there's something going, you know, it's not, these are not... Some of these people are not crazy. <laughs> no, there's there's been some anti Nick stuff that's er, that was early on that is just like okay, that's just the these guys who are irrational and they just hate him and blah 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 blah. Lately, there's been people who I would not have expected to 
kind of talk bad about him saying he's out of bounds. He's doing things he shouldn't do. And he's probably doing that. He's probably feeling frustrated. He's uh, probably trying to make uh, a point at the end of his term. He's trying to, he's probably got a lot of things going on and he's crossed boundaries to do that. I have, I am not above saying that he has done that. I'm not defending him on those things. Um, But I'm also saying that I think, I think people are, psyching themselves to the point where any little thing he says is now triple psychoanalyzed and people react in, in fear over it yeah. because they've given him this con status of, he has all this power. Yeah. The he's living, he doesn't have any, power. he's living rent free in their heads. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah. And you're muted. Uh, according to some stuff I'm seeing uh, just right now, uh, the convention oversight, committee chair uh hasn't been in communication with nick in over a month hasn't returned any phone calls uh you know and you know we are getting just a just the visible portion of the drama that's going on with regards to all this so you know i i I don't know uh I, i believe that nick has exceeded the benefit of the doubt in a great many cases but at this juncture, I just don't know what to think about some of this nonsense. All right. My, my thinking is that we're finally going to get to a point where Nick is no longer chair. And I want to see what the excuses are going to be going forward and how they're still going to try and pin it on Nick. These people, I think are, there's a lot of irrationality going on. But I, I don't see Daniel Hayes being any much better of a person because – like I said, he's he's got an agenda. He didn't give the information about the online capabilities that they were given three months ago and we could have prepared for. He wants an in-person convention so that he can extol and how great of a job he did. And it's going to be a big party and everybody will look at him at how great of a person he is. And there's some rumors that a buddy of his is, is getting some, you know, AV work done. And, and so there's a lot of accusations going on there. And I just, whenever I talk to him, it's it's not a pleasant experience. Yeah, he so, went through. He was the guy that went through the shit that we talked yeah. to about di- yeah, allegedly. I have to give, dis- have to give apology to yeah. I have to give apology to Ron, to to Michael Heiss about that. Is that you know I I don't agree with everything he did in that situation, but I see what he's saying about the way that Daniel Hayes operates in trying to get a convention run. Right? Yeah, uh, I think he took things a little far for a personal gain, but. I now see his point, and I have to I have to apologize for that. Yeah, and I think Daniel was honestly smeared. I, I don't think you know, having talked to several people, Ron Paul wasn't disinvited. He just decided not to, and they couldn't no. work the room out that he wanted. And they invited him again this year, and he it just couldn't. It didn't work out. So here's my thing: in the heat of all this stuff, and this will be the final before you two make your final points. This will be my final point. Um, before I make my final, final point. In the heat of all this stuff, it gets it gets hot, right? I've said some stuff about Joshua Smith. You've said some stuff about Michael Heiss. Some of it has not always been fair. And, and I've impugned Joshua's motives. I don't think I've always been totally wrong, but I don't think that I've always been right. But Joshua Smith, Nick Sarwark, you know, Joe Bishop Henchman... Daniel Hayes, Sam Goldstein, all these people deeply care about the organization. 
And they, all these candidates that just ran for office put all this time and effort because they deeply care about the message. They care about libertarianism. They care about the party. And, and all that passion sometimes gets unbalanced. And because we're just petty animals by and large by nature we we sometimes take it too far and it gets too heated and convention season is always this way and then you have the convention and the smoke clears and you go you know i i i that that shouldn't have happened or this shouldn't have but you know you know after the last convention i publicly said congratulations to joshua smith he brought a ton of delegates. He continues to bring a lot of new people to the party. That's only good. Like, I'm happy that they're 25% of the delegation. Do I think that as a delegation, as a caucus, do they fully understand how the party works? And are they willing to learn? Not always. And that's where they kind of go sideways. But that's on them to learn a little bit. You know, is my interpretation of them always right? No, because I've got my own personal biases that go into it. It just all gets... You know, it, the the people five years from now, you know, I, I, I haven't really been active in party politics in a significant way since 2013. A- and as you get further from it, a decade later, you start to look back and you start to go, I really appreciate Lee Wright's, Mary Ruart, Thomas Hill, those people that I was up against and competing against at these conventions I love those guys. I actively promote Mary. At the time, Mary probably thought I was a nut if she knew who I was. And I thought, oh, this person, she's on the LNC. She's so difficult. It's why can't she just let us have our way and we'll make the party better. And she's going, why can't they just get out of our way so we can make the party better? And then you get older and you just sort of go, that person was really dedicated and I really appreciate their time. You know, especially with somebody like Lee Wrights who has gone... Lee was so passionate about the party and so right about so many things and some of the people that I was like, oh, come on, give him a hard, you're giving him a hard time. Like, no, no, he's right. <laughs> you know, people, people look at Starchild like some sort of weirdo. Starchild's so dedicated. You know, the same goes for Aaron Starr. The same goes for Alicia Matson. The same goes for Karen Ann Harlow's. You know, in the, in the heat of conventions, it gets tough. And then you walk away and time passes and you stop. You, you, the, the, it all dissipates. You know, like think about how you felt about coronavirus in March and how you feel about it now. As time goes on, all that emotion dissipates. And so that's sort of my point for this whole episode is that in these close quarters, it can get heated and it can get personal and you can say and do things that are not nice you know, but try your best not to, because at the end of the day, we're all out for the same goal. You know, we just have maybe different messaging styles or different tactics or different priorities on spending or whatever, but everybody's ultimately at the end of the day out for the same thing. So with that final thoughts, let's go to Paul first. Anytime. Yeah. uh, Final thoughts. Uh, I think that, you know, this entire situation that we find ourselves in highlights a couple of changes that need to be made uh, within the party uh, with regards to our rules. And uh, and I have to say, I don't appreciate as a delegate uh, being put in the position that is 
to me, morally repugnant uh, to attend a large crowd gathering in Florida. Uh, I don't think it is the healthy thing. I don't think it is the right thing. I don't think that uh, morally it's in a good place in order to hopefully fundraise for our organization when we should be exploring other avenues to do so in virtual space. Uh, I, I do encourage... I know it's not your position, Chris. I do encourage people to get involved in the party, uh, whether or not uh, it's at the local level, holding signs, knocking doors for a local candidate. Uh, I I think that is the most appropriate place to start. And uh, I I do encourage people to put some effort in and take ownership of the movement. Yeah, one thing that I'd like to see changed is stop all the openness. There, there has been a push over the last 20 years. We need to have full transparency, put everything online. All these discussions need to be streamed on YouTube so we can get people interested in how this works. No, you don't. Stop it. Undo that. Quit streaming things on the Internet. This, none, none of this is honestly all that extra. None of this is honestly all that different than how it works in any of the other parties or organizations or businesses. It's how human beings work through complicated problems, and there's always going to be factions. It's just like C-SPAN made government infinitely worse because now all the politicians are grandstanding for uh, airtime. Th- this is the same thing that's happening with the YouTube stuff. Take it all down. Like, again, you don't want me running for chair because I will ban all live streams. Delegates, if you want to know what's going on, show up to the meetings. Because this is this is insane. You're just embarrassing yourselves because there is now, and I think there bears some responsibility on random average libertarians to stop repeating the meme that the libertarian party is a dumpster fire. Because it's really not a dumpster fire. It's just a large, complex national organization that has a lot of complicated issues to work through. It has a set of rules, and people argue over rules and those issues. That's not abnormal. They're not doing anything differently or wrong. So quit repeating the propagandistic line that it's a dumpster fire. Because all you're doing is ultimately just making things worse. What is that noise? It sounds like music. But anyways, yeah, I, I think constantly repeating, oh, they can't do it. They're a mess. They're a mess. You're, we're hurting the cause with that a little bit. But we're not helping by televising our insanity. So yeah, the noise was mine. My dog decided to run in front of the ah, um, room here. Final thoughts. So my final thoughts basically are that, um, first of all, because of what happened in the, the end of the convention and people are realizing now that, what, that they're disenfranchising a lot of people and they really wanted the, the, to have the online component, they're trying to work out a deal to make it happen. But it's going to require, because of what was done, it's going to require the people who do show up in Orlando to vote to change the rules to allow that remote connectivity um, to happen. And uh, I don't know if they're going to get two thirds of the people who show up there to do that because it's going to, you know, water down their votes, their power when they're there. So I'll, I'll be interested to see how that works out. I'm going to watch it. I'm going to, at this point, I've expressed my anger and vitriol on Facebook enough. I'm done with it. Um, said my piece I've said mm-hmm. my piece here on it do you believe that Paul because I don't believe that for a second <laughs> you might hear some things in the chat from time uh-huh. to time but the other thing too is that I am finding that 
in all the tough times, I'm starting to see things on certain people a little bit differently uh, because I think in these times of pressure and things going and, and, and animosity and um, conflict, you start to see people acting their better selves too. So, um, you know, Ken Mullman, we, I got in with him a, uh, a fair amount of time over the, over the beginning of the year and things when things weren't happening the way I thought they should. And him and I had some arguments back and forth, but the last few weeks he has been nothing but uh, just inspiring and trying to make sure that the, the party is taken care of and, and doing the right things. And the same with, uh, 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 um, can't remember her name. EVH is what we call her. Elizabeth Van Horn. Sorry, Elizabeth Van Horn. I'm sorry about that. Um, same thing. We, I got into an argument with her a few, about a month ago. It was real kind of heated. Uh, we both, I think triggered each other and, I have seen nothing but uh, great, you know, great stuff from her over the past three, four weeks with all this going on. And I'm really, I'm really glad that she's up there on the LNC fighting for, for what's, what's right. So there are some shining examples of that. Then there's also people who have shown their, their bad selves. And, and it's like, I can never look at them again because of some of the things they did. And, and um, so I, th- I think, what I what I'd like to see coming out of this is people realizing that they need work to do, that we need to come together, we need to get over this stuff, uh, we need to stop trying to limit things. We need to be we need to be problem solvers, not problem identifiers. Not hey, there's, this isn't going to work. Let's let's say this isn't going to work, but let's find a solution. And so, in my state, and of- that's the mindset I'd like to see the party start to adopt. Uh, we're not there yet, but I hope that some that somehow or some way we can get there. Yeah, this is uh, this is Reinhold. This is his message. Oh, in my state of the my state of the union, our state, my speech to the nation, whatever you want to call it, speech to the nation. <laughs> I know that human being and fish can coexist peacefully. <laughs> And America needs a military where our breasts and brightest are proud to serve and proud to stay. If you're a single mother with two children, which is the toughest job in America as far as I'm concerned, and you're working hard to put food on your family, rarely is the question asked, is our children learning? Too many good docs are getting out of business. Too many OBGYNs aren't able to practice their their love with women all across the country. See, I don't think you can be... There's an old saying in Tennessee. This I know is what it's I meant. It's probably in Tennessee that says, fool me once. Shame on... Shame on you. If fool me, we can't get fooled again. I thought that was going to be a quick clip, but it was worth it. Man, you forget how bad Bush was with that shit. Fool me once. Uh, fool me again. Uh, Paul Copeland, you owe all of the audience an official public apology for your shitty audio. Yes, uh, I am sorry. Uh, as we mentioned earlier in the show, I am traveling. I am working on various campaigns uh, for advancing liberty. I don't want uh, excuses. I want apologies. And I I will do better, and I will bring my entire desktop and sound no. recording this equipment <clears throat> with me do next not, time. Do not do better. Be better. Okay. Uh, I, I, am way too late in thanking our patrons. I apologize for taking so long to get to it. Anthony Meyer, 
our $100 a month patrons, excuse me. Uh, Reinhold is one of them. Anthony Meyer, Craig DaCosta, Ed Brehob, the great Jason Doolittle, who sent me Bucky Nuts, Jeff Bennett, Christy Avery, and Matthew Durbin. Thank you guys so much. And no, I'm not going to explain what Bucky Nuts are. If you know what Bucky Nuts are, you know. If you don't know, you don't know. But uh, I ate all of them. So thank you, everybody, for joining us here on this episode of We Are Libertarians. Man, there was something else I wanted to mention, but I cannot remember what it was. We never talked about Larry Sharp either. Uh, Here's what I'll say about Larry Sharp. No one is more glad that they didn't win the nomination than Larry Sharp. He seemed kind of checked out and ready to be done with all of it. And that vice presidential debate, he was just like, I'm not even putting on a suit for this. I don't want to win. <laughs> so uh, God bless Larry Sharp, and I'm, I'm glad that he is. He has found peace and is not the nominee. So <clears throat> everybody, just be kind. Be uh, patient. Be more patient than I am. Be more kind than I am. That's all I can ask. Uh, try to be as patient and as kind as Reinhold, at least, if you can't do your hairy best. Uh, Harry was apparently surprised that there was a show tonight. I probably should have told him before five minutes before, but it's Tuesday at seven. You know that we do this live. You can tune on on Twitter, Facebook, the Facebook group, Twitch. You know this. He's been doing this second longest running co-host for God's sake. So, uh, that's, I don't know where Harry was. He was surprised by it. I didn't fully prep him. I'm going to try and avoid all the LP inside baseball. This was a long episode. We're not going to do more of it. We've avoided a lot of it. It's not what we do necessarily, um, but there's been a lot of inside. It's been debates and inside stuff, and so I'm not I'm not going to keep clogging the feed up with it, and I appreciate your patience. There's a large segment of our audience that was interested in it, and we are best suited to bring that information, but that kind of concludes. We're kind of coming to the end of our COVID coverage, coming to the end of our... Uh, 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 LP coverage and now we're going to move on to something else I don't know what yet the inspiration will strike the libertarian muse will visit me through the next week and we will figure out what we're going to talk about next time but uh, if you haven't been interested in COVID stuff or the the pandemic or uh, the LP stuff I appreciate your patience you're probably not listening to this uh, but we are moving on to some other things starting now. We'll probably do one more, uh, you know, we'll do a couple episodes on the pandemic because it's going to be something consistently across the board that we're we're dealing with. But, uh, yeah, we're just not, just can't live that life. Can't live with it all day, every day. Same with, like, with the Libertarian Party and, and a pandemic are the exact same thing. If you live it and breathe it every single day and constantly talk about it, you're going to go insane. That's just how it works. So thanks to all of our uh, patrons. Thanks to Reinhold. Thanks to Paul. And no thanks to Harry for not showing up. But please get into the Twitch and ask or into the Discord. Just make sure Harry's not mad at me. Just ping him. Ask Harry, are you okay? I heard you're fighting with Dear Leader. It really annoys him when you do that. And that makes me laugh every time you do. So thanks for joining us. We will see you again next week.